This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Bronner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Welcome into another week of the opening kickoff. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition, guys. We have a lot to get to over the next three hours right here on the sports station WNSP. First and probably most important, broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air, where in about an hour you guys can come by and grab some complimentary beignets and coffee. Start your week the right way. We have so many people and so many teams to discuss that probably didn't have the best of weekends, but that's okay. You don't have to be in that number. Come on out and hang out, talk some football with us. We're here for the next three hours, Lee. I know we, as always, have a ton to get to. Yeah, and what we're going to do is uh, we'll get some of this stuff right away with the pro football because we have most of our guests are on college football, so we'll be going with college football most of the way. Uh, let me preface what you said. I was out here for lunch yesterday, ordered the chicken fajita wrap. My wife had the tailgate burger. I bring this up because we got out of here with a check under $20. What? Yes, under $20 for the wrap, which was very filling. Also with the uh, tailgate burger, a drink here and there. We were out of here with less than $20. So talk about uh, inflation saver. That's where it's at here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill. And by the way, even though we are not at uh, Bob's Restaurant, uh, wing fingers that registration box is still out there and he'll be giving away tickets for the alabama lsu game but that's in another uh, two weeks i think we're going to be out there next monday mark all right let me get some of the stuff uh besides college football because we're going to be devoting most of the show on college football in baseball they will be a game seven strange series between the rangers in houston mark the away team has won every game and yesterday, the Rangers won 9-2 to to force a game 7, a deciding game tonight in Houston. And that will be the night game. The Philadelphia Phillies and Arizona play game 6, with the Phillies leading three games to two. A couple of things in pro football I'll mention quickly. Two teams now at 6-1 and one of the defending uh, teams that went to the Super Bowl, uh, Kansas City and Philadelphia. They're both at 6-1. and one. Are they on a collision course again? We'll see. Earlier this year, actually game one, we talked a lot about the rookie quarterbacks and the difficulty that they had in trying to get that first win. Uh, obviously, Bryce Young at Carolina, Stroud with Texas, Richardson with the Colts, and as is usually the custom with a rookie quarterback, uh, especially in their first start, wings are tough to uh, come by. But yesterday, I, I just couldn't help but we got to do a shout-out to him, Mark. Tyson Pagett. Am I saying his name right? Remember him, the quarterback who wasn't drafted, undrafted, signed by the Bears. So Justin Fields could not play yesterday. So Bajan, who was at Shepherd College in West Virginia last year, he was a guest of ours during the Senior Bowl. He started, led three touchdown, I'm sorry, three scoring drives, threw a touchdown pass, and the Bears won. Do you remember his dad who came on with us? I do. The arm wrestling yes. guy. Yeah. Great story. Here's it. Like I said, undrafted. They gave him the game ball after the game. Agent, unknown, unheralded. And in his first start, he gets the win for the Chicago Bears. The other big story, Bill Belichick finally got to win number 300. Uh, New England, an underdog at home to Buffalo, rallied in the final minute to win 29 
to 25. But here's the here's the story to me. So Ian Rappaport then comes out with a report that Bill Belichick during the offseason in the summer signed a lucrative contract extension. That changes the whole conversation. We've been wasting our time speculating as to whether he's going to be let go uh, coaching for another team. You can put an end to that right now. He's got a long-term contract, and none of this was known before yesterday. They do win yesterday. He finally gets win number 300. But it just goes to show you sometimes that we spout off, we talk about things, we, we make conjectures and things, and there's no basis for it. What was your big give? Uh, for me on college football, it was close call Saturday. I mean, it was pretty obvious that this is one of those days, a Saturday, where good teams, good teams, contenders were going to struggle. Oklahoma and Texas eked out wins. They, they barely got by. Washington barely got by. Uh, on the upset mode, North Carolina losing to lowly Virginia. Uh, then you had Penn State. But that was expected, losing to Ohio State. So they're out there removed from the ranks of the undefeated Southern Cal. You can just about write them off. They're not going anywhere as far as the college football playoff. Clemson, ugh, another sad Saturday for Sweeney. Well, another sad, uh, not only because of the loss, but because of his comments he made that he later apologized for, for uh, uh, mentioning suicide and all that kind of stuff. Uh, no, I, I think uh, there were a bunch of teams and a bunch of entities that had some really bad weekends. We, you know, Last week kind of started talking about the, the worst of the weekend. Uh, there were some bad ones. Uh, right there in the SEC, Arkansas, uh, USC and Lincoln Riley not making anybody available after the loss. Uh, you, you, you learn more about people after losses than you do about wins. Uh, Michigan State did not have a great weekend after flashing a trivia question, which according to reports was a third-party entity, but they were doing trivia like 80 minutes before the game, and they had a big picture of Adolf Hitler on the scoreboard. It did not go over well, as you might imagine. There was a big brawl in Division Three. Guy got kicked in the head. I mean, it was it was just anarchy. And I would also put Tennessee in into that category. You're up 20 to seven at half, and complete and and completely sell uh, in the second half. Uh, it wasn't their finest moment. Interestingly enough, uh, in a lot of uh, like a lot of college games and college fans citing uh, the officials for kind of blowing it. Uh, it's a good thing we got Dean Wade on. Got a lot of questions for him today. But those were a bunch of them. But it's interesting to watch the narrative change on Alabama now. It's gone from they're not very good, he he can't coach, to them uh, perhaps this being his best coaching job uh, ever at the University of Alabama. Unbelievable win for uh, the Tide, the way they and, – and what was amazing about this one more than anything is if you listen to his first quarter – Comments. If you listen to his halftime comments, he didn't get ruffled. He 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 knew he knew his team was better than Tennessee. Whether or not you believed him at that point is a different story. But the things he said at, at those times, there was a, a very calm, cool, and collect confidence about Saban that said, if we just tweak, if we just calm down and do what we need to do, we're going to win this ball game. And sure enough, they went out there and absolutely dominated the second half. Do we put Hugh Freeze in that category, too? The fans, I know my son was at the game, and he said the booing was quite loud uh, during, I guess it was the third quarter, with all the three and outs they had. Has uh, the, the hall pass slid by Hugh Freeze now? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a to say that there is a, the, the honeymoon is over would be an understatement. I think fans are incredibly... Um, 
frustrated. And I think the reason is because they, I feel like Auburn continues to do the same thing week in and week out, hoping for a different outcome, right? There, there's still no rhyme or reason to this whole quarterback rotation. Um, and it's crazy because I, I can't remember who said, I think Tim Tebow said over the weekend, they're closer than you think. They wind up playing these good teams close. I mean, they were right there. I know they kind of got a, a late one there, but you play Ole Miss, the score doesn't in, indicate that you got blown out, although it kind of felt like it, right? You play Georgia close, you feel like it's there's some there's something there, like positive. There's something there. They just can't they can't can't really figure it out. And uh, they have to beat Mississippi State Saturday if they're going to get bowl eligible. There's no other way. They have to win this game. They have to stop the four-game losing streak. They have to restore a little bit of confidence in the uh, the Auburn Nation. Uh, they'll be hosting in a 2:30 game. So we talk about must wins during the season. That's a must win because I think they have Vanderbilt. They have another non-conference game there that which you get them. And why is it important? You say. I'll tell you why it's important. It's not about the bowl game. It's about the practice leading up to it. That was 15 days or so, giving Hugh Freeze a chance to look at you know, maybe some of the players that haven't been playing or to give others an opportunity. So it, I think it's imperative. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was amused by that comment uh, by Paul Feinbaum, who joins us Thursdays and will this Thursday, we hope, where he said this may be Nick Saban's best coaching job because wasn't it just a few weeks ago <laughs> he said the exact opposite. The game has gotten by him, and he's – he wasn't too complimentary about Nick. So it's amazing in college football how things change from week to week to week. But um, when we talk about who had the worst week, certainly the Arkansas coach has to be. You mentioned Sam Pittman. They fired their offensive coordinator, former Alabama assistant, Danny knows Their offense is the worst in the SEC right now. Uh, you could say the same. I think I put Hugh Freeze in there. Uh, the fact that his offense was... You know, the 21 points looks pretty good, but then you realize that they scored a touchdown in the last minute. Yeah. And for the better part of the game, couldn't do anything offensively. If you want to put Josh Heupel in there, blowing a 20-7 to lead, that, that's fair. Lincoln Riley deserves to be in there. For sure. Uh, not, not just for losing, but the way in which he handled that loss. Uh, now there's talk that uh, Caleb Williams will shut it down. Um, and that's just kind of the state of athletics that we're in right now. So we want to hear... We were, there, there was a lot of good, don't get me wrong, but obviously the bad typically dominates the headlines. We want to hear from you guys. What was the worst of the weekend? Kirk Ferentz. That's my number one choice. Iowa. First of all, they're offensively challenged, as you know. All right, we've talked about that. I'm not going to go into detail. So they seemingly have the game and the lead on a punt return, and this is a question that I'm going to raise first with uh, Dean Waite. And it was called back after the Iowa player returned the punt late in the game, seemingly having the game won or at least taking the lead. And the rest blew it dead because they said he signaled for a fair catch. Although if you look at it, it's arbitrary. I mean, I, I watched it a few times, Mark. I'm sure you did, too. I, I don't know what constitutes a fair catch. Normally I thought you have to raise your hand above your head. didn't appear that he did. But that Kirk Ferentz. Losing like they did to Minnesota, I'd put him right there too. Yeah. So, uh, what's interesting about that play is it, it, it's exactly what happened in Tennessee uh, in the Alabama game, which was um, the guy, two guys are back. They ran it. They returned it to the 24, but they reviewed it. He wound up being down at the four. I'm in the same boat as you. 
when when those guys and this is terrible radio because I'm explaining to you when when they put their hands out like that that was to me always I thought that was a sign your teammates said don't don't worry about it it's we're, it's going to be a touchback obviously when you put your hands parallel to the ground and, and fully extend like that that's that's a sign that you're fair catching now I was unaware of that it happened to Tennessee it happened to some degree in that Iowa game. We're going to talk to Dean about that game and that call specifically, uh, among others. But yeah, it was a very, very bizarre. Because I, I, maybe I don't watch enough college football guys, but I've never seen that uh, called, um, much less called twice in the same weekend. I'm with you. I was going to say that I have never seen that call before, and we get two in the same day. Incredible to me, and it certainly cost Iowa. It may have even cost Tennessee because instead of having the ball around the 20-25 in a game that they were still involved with, you're back at the own four-yard line. Yeah. Uh, so we got a lot to get to. We want to hear from you guys in our next segment. We got to get. Uh, we'll have some Chick-fil-A for you today. Uh, we'll also get you qualified for the Alec Naiman Catering Party. So we got a lot going on here on our Monday morning quarterback. Coming up at 6:30, we'll talk to St. Paul's coach Ham Barnett. He's going to join us here on the show. Uh, Bob Baumhauer will join us at seven. Well, uh, Kane Womack, the South Alabama. Uh, football coach at 7.30, uh, Matt Cohen on Auburn at 8, Dean Waite at 8.20, and Mike Rodak on Alabama. want to hear from you Alabama fans as well. As impressive as a half of football as we've seen in a long time in Tuscaloosa, want to get your take. Phone lines will be open at 694-1055. Here comes your scoreboard, your traffic, and your weather. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill in the Shops of Bel Air right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey, this is Jimmy Riffle from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 1055. Six twenty-two. Welcome back in our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air, where you guys can come in and join us. Join us for uh, some complimentary beignets and coffee starting at seven a.m. And uh, they have their inflation menu, so if you're looking to save a few dollars, uh, take advantage of that. Tuesday night, kids eat free, of course, accompanied by an adult. Ladies' night is Thursday, and every week you can watch a lot of sporting events. Tonight, the 49ers in Minnesota, plus the baseball games. I was here yesterday, Mark. You just... It's I, mean, I, wrap, I almost get next rain wrapping my head around all the games that are going on, and the Saints weren't even playing, which would have had my keen interest in uh, watching all these games going on and trying to keep pace with all of them. Maybe that's why I'm in such a good mood this morning. They didn't I play yesterday. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, you guys want to get in on the Alabama and Auburn games. Obviously, this is your first opportunity to, to talk with us about that. We encourage you to do so at 694-1055. Uh, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't ask for a better first half of your Josh Heifel. I mean, you, you did everything you had to do. I know a lot of Tennessee fans are complaining about officiating, uh, but I tell you what, Josh Heupel went for it on fourth down twice and didn't get it right there around midfield, almost near Alabama. I mean, it, you kind of put yourself in a hole there. Um, you get the scoop and score off the sack, Alabama. That was a huge play. Uh, you come out in the second half, two plays in. Uh, Alabama's offense kind of came alive and got the touchdown. I know Saban talks about that kind of being the turning point where all the momentum shifted. But, man, that defensive scoop and score, uh, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Um, and, and it just, Tennessee just kind of fell apart, just collapsed. 
Yeah, first of all, Judge Heupel refused to comment on the officiating, and he was emphatic when he said, I don't want to get fined, which he would have been, I'm sure, if he had uh, commented on it. But the uh, second thing is, is, as you know, as much as I dislike analytics for baseball, it's becoming all too prevalent in football now, too. And, and that became a cop topic of conversation on co uh, college football final, all these coaches going for it on fourth and this, fourth and that. And, look, I don't. I don't blame coaches for trying to do that if you have confidence and so forth, but it seems lately that teams, at least the games I'm watching, they're not, they're not getting it done, and they're still lining up in the shotgun on like fourth and one where you're five yards behind the line of scrimmage to begin with. Some teams now are, are getting to that point where they're taking it under center, but it hasn't been working, and the most of the games that I watched over the weekend – Fourth and one, fourth and two just did not work. And teams, especially down at the goal line, couldn't believe the amount of times that teams were stymied with uh, trying trick plays. How about the trick play that Gus Malzahn tried? I mean, it, it is so typical. They're down by two to upsetting Oklahoma, Mark. They, they get back to 31-29, and he's trying a trick play to go for two. That would have tied the game. Yeah. It is so typical of Gus Malzahn to pull stuff like that. And, of course, it backfired. But the analytics is becoming very prevalent now in football. And whereas I don't like it in baseball, I could say that you could probably say there's a lot of fans now that are getting sick of it in uh, college football. And maybe the NFL, too, because teams are now more prevalent to go for that uh, fourth down. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Malzahn's an idiot. Uh, Freeze is a good coach, not a miracle worker. Look what he inherited. Saban is very fortunate, and the SEC is way down. Um, and then someone said, I guess the Vols don't remember last year's officiating. That was that was the that was the online debate was Tennessee fans complaining about officiating, Alabama coming back and saying, Do you remember last year? And look, I, I thought there were some calls missed. Obviously, I talked to Dean over the weekend about what looked like a guy trying to punch the ball out and punching a ten, an Alabama player in the head. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, we're going to talk about that with Dean this week or, or this afternoon. This afternoon, later this show, uh, he said the refs just missed it. Uh, regardless of intent, the forearm came down on the helmet. It should have been um, a 15-yard penalty. Uh, they just missed Plus it. Plus, so. they're getting more and more misses on face mask grabbing too. But here's my point: we're not going to have enough time with Dean today to get into this because it's more of a philosophy. But I've, I've, I've often wondered why when you run the ball into the end zone, and let's say you're right at the goal line, and maybe the quarterback jumps over, but then they knock the ball away. They always give them a touchdown. Yesterday I watched a couple of plays where as soon as the guy it was so close and he gets a touchdown, yet on a pass, it's like you not only have to catch the ball these days, yeah. if you're knocked down, you have to still have possession. You go over the I've never understood this. You go over the goal line on a reception, you catch it, and then they have to say you have to retain it for this and that, and if you fall down, if the ball comes loose. Yet if you run the football, you go over the goal line, they punch it away, it's still a touchdown. Uh, is because you had possession before you got to the end zone. You have to establish possession. Is that so, what it is? So if all of what you just said happened at the one after a catch, but then you broke the plane, it's, then it's back to run. You've got to establish the possession there. But I understand your point. It seems like there's a different um, There is. It's a different threshold yeah, for that's scoring. That's a good point. I didn't even have to wait for Dean Wade. That's right. Yeah. No wait for Dean Wade. Right. Mark Heim instead. That's pretty good. I will tell you the one thing, the, one of the bigger problems Alabama does have to fix, and that's their punt return. Kool-Aid McKinstry is all up in his own head. Dude doesn't know whether to catch it 
whether to let it go. And then when he does catch it, he never catches it cleanly. The guy could be the most dynamic and electric punt returner in the country, but he doesn't know when to catch it. He doesn't know when to, when to get out the way. And he's, and he's costing Alabama 15, 20, 25 yards in possession. Saban jumped his butt, and rightfully so. I think it's time to make a change there, uh, which is unfortunate because I think he has the, the capability of giving them such a spark there. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. Um, all right. We come back. We'll talk some high school football next here on the Sports Station. Hang with us. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill right here at the Shops of Bel Air. It's Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Thanks for hanging with us. It's uh, Mark and Lee from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. During the month of October, Baumhauer's will feature special menu items with a pink twist to help promote Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Like their chips, cheese, and salsa with pink ribbon chips or any of their wraps with pink tortillas. A portion of product sales, as you know, will benefit uh, the Winship Cancer Institute at Emory University. All right, you heard the audio clip. The uh, Patriots, with 12 seconds to go, scored a touchdown to upend their rival, the Buffalo Bills, 29-25. to It was the 300th career win for Bill Belichick. And then the word came out afterwards that he signed a lucrative a contract extension, which pretty well changes the narrative of everybody who thought that this Belichick was on the hot seat. It's, it's pretty cold now with that contract extension. We're going to talk some high school uh, football right now. Uh, during Friday night, uh, a member of the uh, St. Paul Saints, uh, Anthony Tank uh, Jones, was named the Bryant Bank Player of the Week. And I'm going to let St. Paul's coach, Ham Barnett, tell me why he deserved it. Ham, I want to welcome you to the show. Congratulations on your 21 nothing win over Blunt. And what did Mr. Jones accomplish? He accomplished a lot on Friday night. Uh, I think he played his best game of the football season. Um, actually, we went back and did the stats. He had five sacks instead of four sacks. I think he had 14 tackles. Um, also had a few TFLs and uh, had a touchdown, a rushing touchdown in the second quarter uh, from the Wildcat position as well. So uh, he was dominant the other night. I mean, I was super proud of him for uh, coming out and uh, playing as well as he did. And um, I think because of that, performance and gave us a good victory on Friday night. What do you think he enjoys more, the sacks or the touchdown? I think he enjoys them both. Uh, we've kind of done, we've moved him around a little bit more on defense because we played a Spanish sport a few weeks ago and kept him to one side of the field and they, they ran away from him every single time. So uh, now we're doing some things to where he can be uh, more involved in everything. So a uh, shutout for the defense. The mm -hmm. offense came through for you. Where do things stand now in that well, that very tough 6A area one. Where St. Paul stand? Do you still have a good shot at a uh, postseason? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're sitting at four and two in the in region play right now, six and two overall. 
Uh, we got a big game this week against Baldwin County. Um, I think if we win that, we solidify um, a place in the playoffs. And um, so that's what we're looking to right now is playing Baldwin County and getting that fifth region victory and clinching that playoff spot. Ham, when we were first out there at the outset of the year, we were out there to do our uh, Christopher Mullenix game day. So as things stand now with about two weeks to go in the regular season, just give us your uh, assessment of your team to this point. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're playing uh, good football right now. Um, you know, the, the beginning of, the, of our schedule is very tough. Um, you know, starting with UMS, the rival, McGill, another rival, and then uh, playing Fairland. Um, we finished that run two and one, um, and then you know, played Murphy. I got a win there, and uh, had an off week, two weeks to kind of prepare for Faith Academy, who's another rival. We have rivals uh, every week on our schedule, um, but I've really seen our team just just grow in uh, these last few weeks and come together. It's kind of similar to last year, a little bit, but last year we were sitting here at four and four, and so I'm, I'm proud that uh, this team for being six and two especially in this tough region. And, you know, we play in that tough non-region schedule against UMS and Faith Academy. So uh, just proud of our guys and proud of these coaches. Uh, they work their tails off here. and um, So we're just looking forward to Baldwin County and seeing what happens on Friday night. Uh, Michael Holland of Bryant Bank will be getting in touch with you to uh, come out and meet with the team and, of course, uh, uh, Tank Jones. So where does it stand now recruiting-wise from Tank Jones? I know that this was a big story about a year ago. Uh, are things amped up even more? Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I think he goes somewhere every single weekend to a college football game, which has got to be exciting for a 15-year-old. He was at Florida State this last weekend. He's been to LSU. He's been to Alabama. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, all the top schools um, want him, but, you know, they still have, he still has two years left, two years and a few games left um, here at St. Paul. So, um, you know, he's – He's a special kid, man. I'm, uh, he's just a really smart kid, humble kid, and uh, I'm proud of him, and he deserves everything he's, that comes his way. How much do you use him on offense these days? Has it picked up any? Yeah, it's cooled down a little bit, and so I think last week he played about eight to ten uh, snaps. The week before uh, we played Robert Still, um, it was about the same. Um, and so just you know, at the, at the, when we get to this part of the season, uh, we got to have these wins. Um, you know, he's he's definitely going to be a more part of our offense for sure. Ham, many thanks for joining us. Congratulations to the Saints, to Mr. Jones, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. You know, he mentioned Florida State, uh, the Duke-Florida State game, and that was a, a tug of war. I mean, it was a really tight game, and Riley Leonard did play. Now, his stats weren't good, okay? I think at one point he was like one for seven throwing. and But they were locked in a, a tie with them, and I think it was maybe they were leading 20 to 17 when he went down again with an injury. That same, I think it was the same ankle mark. He had to leave the game, couldn't get back in. The freshman took over and went all downhill after that. It's kind of a shame because the two games that he's had to leave, uh, Notre Dame and Florida State, they've lost both games. Now, I'm not saying they would have won either game with him in there, but it certainly would have given them a better chance. Yeah, and he was he was doing everything he could on the sidelines to get back in the game. He, he was asking and talking to anybody that would listen to him to try to get back in. He was constantly trying to work that ankle. It just, it just didn't happen for him. So, hate to see it. Uh, he's certainly a difference maker for that team, and you wonder how it would have played out had he had the opportunity and been healthy. But... Uh, but Florida State took advantage for sure. On my iPhone, I was following that game at an event we were at, 
And in the conversation with others there, they were all talking about Riley Leonard, his high school days, more so basketball than football. But um, it's kind of a shame. And now you wonder, I don't know, I haven't seen an update whether he'll be available to uh, play next week or you know, anytime soon. I do want to uh, thank Dr. Christopher Mullenix and Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery. They are our title sponsor. And my gosh, we got doubleheaded this week. Uh, we're going to be at Alma Bryant Thursday, Mobile Christian on Friday. Uh, Dr. Mullenix specializes in oral surgery, and that includes dental implants. That includes me, wisdom teeth. He is taking care of other members of our family, not so much for dental implants, but maybe for wisdom teeth and so forth. Uh, they're located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard, and they do take day of appointments. If an emergency arises, give them a call. There's a chance that you will get in 471-3381. And again, located uh, right up the street from us at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. Uh, it's no wonder that Dr. Mullenix and Dr. Wallander were Lanyap's best oral surgeons, uh, as voted on by you. You know, uh... We sit here and we talk about Alabama and Auburn today. Um, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss really kind of got into the trolling spirit over the weekend. Not long after Ole Miss beats Auburn, they pretty much they trolled Hugh Freeze, Auburn. The idea that Kiffin, the reporter that suggested that Kiffin was going to leave Ole Miss for Auburn, and then yesterday, Kiffin kind of jumped all in on this Josh Heupel stuff and sent a, posted on X or Twitter or whatever talking about how. He knows he loved the he loved the reaction from Heupel. knows knows exactly how it feels to be in that stadium wearing orange and feeling the way that Josh Heupel did. So he's he's all full of as they say piss and vinegar here on a Monday after a big one against Auburn. Yeah, I'm sure if he lost, he, he wouldn't be saying these things about him. And you know, coaches they they give the tendency to tell you that all they care about is their next game the win, their team, yet Lane Kiffin goes the extra mile. He seems to be uh, invested in other programs, too. Yeah. Now, uh, someone in the app, he, and you're right, uh, he did troll uh, Auburn first. So um, it, it, it's what I love about the SEC. It's what I love about him. It's what I love about college football, that, uh, yes, there's always a little jabbing and a little ribbon going on. But it, it was a good um, – it was a good weekend for that kind of stuff, but you guys can jump in. Uh, we talked about some of the, the big losers of the weekend earlier in our show, and there was quite an extensive list. Arkansas, certainly, in an old throwback of 7-3, to three, uh, they've decided to, to start the cleansing process by removing. Isn't that always the first step? Is uh, Offensive coordinator. Dropping or, a coordinator. Or a coordinator. You're right. Yeah. It could have been a defensive coordinator, but they're last in the league in uh, offense. How can a team with K.J. Jefferson not score yeah. a touchdown. Yeah. And, look, I'm not taking anything away from Mississippi State, all right? Um, but, but you still, should because they're not, they're not great. Well, I don't, they're not an, an, a defensive dynamo team that I'm aware of. I mean, they're good, but they're not great. How can you, playing at home, justify not scoring at least one touchdown yeah. with, with the talent that Arkansas State has? So Dina Enos, he'll bite the bullet. Uh, he's the one, the first sacrificial lamb. And about two, a year or two ago, Sam Pittman was riding high. See how it changes overnight in college football. Fans were booing. and Well, you know, he couldn't – he admitted he didn't know what to do in that field goal situation. They wound up having to take um, a timeout, I believe. But he decided – remember, he, wait, he admitted he didn't know what to do. They were down 7-3, could have made it 7-6. He didn't pull the trigger quick enough. 
and and it, it ultimately cost him. And for him to go uh, in front of the media after and say, I don't know what, I didn't know what to do. Um, I guess I appreciate his honesty and, he, and, his, and his candor, but man, uh, you, you, you can't tell no, people you didn't know you what you were doing. You don't do that. You make up a story. I don't yeah. care if it's a lie or what. You make up a story. You don't tell your constituents because they do have a very faithful uh, uh, following for Arkansas football. I mean, they're the big times, they're the big school in the state, uh, and, and obviously a lot more prevalent than Arkansas State. You can't say that to the people who spend the money to come out there and see you play. They got a, a great venue, uh, great fans, and they're frustrated, just like the Auburn fans were. All right. So, which losing head coach this weekend handled their loss worse? Was it Lincoln Riley not making any players available after the loss to Utah? Was it Sam Pittman admitting he didn't know what to do in a certain situation, or was it Josh Heupel? For the way he responded to the very uh, specific question about now that was as leading a question as you're going to get that that sounded like a Tennessee reporter who was mad Tennessee didn't lose. If you heard the the question, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, "How did it feel? It kind of looked like Tennessee was getting flagged for playing flag or touch football. Meanwhile, Alabama was playing Mortal Kombat. I mean it." It <laughs> that that one had a lot of uh that's an easy one Mark Lincoln Riley I mean there's been so much talk these days about Lincoln Riley maybe inquiring about an NFL job there's been so much talk about him and Caleb Williams being a tag team and going to the NFL basically with the loss they're out of it they have no chance to get to the college football playoff now what have they lost four in a row to Utah. Oh, I think easily it falls on Lincoln Riley because you're in the, you know, Hollywood. You're in the glitz, in the glamour. You know, you've you got to take the good, you know, the bad with the good. And everything was going well as far as, you know, he's the new kid in town and, and look what he's done for Southern Cal football. But then they, they suffer this loss now. And you, to me, you have to stand up and uh, take it. All right, Heifel. so uh, what's that? Heifel. Heifel was the worst? Oh, man, I mean... How are you going to complain about the refs after giving up 27 unanswered and not scoring a point in the second half? It's it's pathetic. I Josh Heupel, man. I mean, not to mention I I I'm not going to bring up the refs in last year's third Saturday in October, but didn't hear him say anything then. Uh, but I mean, it's it's. I guess he didn't bring it up. He was asked directly about it, but he didn't he didn't, he didn't talk about it. He said, "I'm not going to talk about it." I understand, but he lying. was pretty clearly upset about it. Well, most coaches are upset about something. How about uh, Iowa? You don't think that guy was upset? I don't know. Be upset about the fact that you got shut out in the second half and couldn't move the ball. But you think that's he was worse than Lincoln Riley for not letting his players talk to the media? It's okay when they win. Well, I've made my thoughts on Lincoln Riley clear. It's par for the course for Lincoln Riley. All right. Coming. Oh, by the way, on a, on a, on a more positive note, uh, Jalen Milrow might have the best, single best laugh in all the country. He was hilarious at the end of that game when uh, the, he and Saban were getting interviewed uh, on the field by CBS. They handed Saban the uh, the cigar for him, and dude put it in his mouth, which was a little odd, a little weird, but okay. So he was having a good time. But Jalen Milrow had a great laugh. Uh, if you have not, ha- if you've not heard it, you need to go back and listen to it. It was pretty funny stuff. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, when we come back, we'll give you a shot at uh, the Alec Neiman Catering Party with another round of Naming It. 
because uh, we're going to name a winner this Friday, I believe. Uh, so here's here's your shot for the day. In hour number two, Bob Baumhauer. Um, we'll do the Mill Lite Golf Report with John Ricchetti. Kane Womack will be with us at 7.30. And uh, hour number three, we'll have Alabama and Auburn writers as well as Dean Wade. So we are incredibly busy. We're going to wrap up hour number one next with our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. We're at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Doors will open up for you in about 15 minutes or so. Come on by and get some complimentary beignets, coffee, talk some ball, the whole deal. You know how it works. It's Sports Radio 105.5 FM, WNSP, and WNSP.com. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Sabin, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It's time for another round of Naming It. That's right. We play an audio clip. You identify the person, place, or thing in said clip and be the first one to get Michael Bronner on the phone at 694-1055. And you will be the latest to qualify for the Alec Naming Catering Party. Uh, because we're on a location, we will do this off the air, Mr. Bronner. But DJ, spin that stuff. They whooped our ass. Plain and simple. Got to be better. All right. Who said it? There it is. Be the first one to get Bronner on the phone, and uh, you will be qualified. We are going to name a winner this Friday when we are on location. That wasn't anybody with the uh, Lions yesterday, was it? I mean, after they got racked up by the uh, – usually you don't see scores like this, especially with a team at 5-1, and one, and they're down like 28 to nothing to the Ravens. That's more geared towards college football than it is the NFL. I mean, eventually you get games that are kind of one-sided, but not that early in a game where I think the Ravens scored on their first four positions. And speaking about scoring a lot of points, during the college football final, Dan Mullen, the former Mississippi State coach, was asked about LSU down the road against Alabama because they beat the U.S. Army 62 to nothing. And Mullen said, let's just wait another week or two to see how good this LSU team is. I, I don't think you can take very much away from playing the Army. But Jaden Daniels has just been a show, hasn't he? I mean, you talk about all the, the guys that are up there for the Heisman. Drake May, does he drop now that North Carolina got beat? Caleb Williams, does he drop down far because his team got beat? Uh, the quarterback for Washington, uh, Penix, had a terrible game. They won. He uh, had at least three or four turnovers on his own. But here's Jaden Daniels just continues to get touchdowns for LSU. So I'm looking at their uh, their schedule. Uh, they get the they get the off week and then they get Alabama. Then they have Florida, Georgia State, and A and M. In fact, everything with the after Alabama, Alabama they have Alabama on the road, and then everything else is at is at home. So your guess, day game or night game? The what? What's your guess? LSU, Alabama, night game or day game? It it sounds like it should be one of those CBS primetime games, but I'm not sure. Someone asked in the app earlier. I'm not sure there's any more CBS double headers lined up. I know they had one this week with the military game um, at 11. So I would have to assume it would be a 2:30 game if CBS doesn't go primetime with it. Right, and that's what I was wondering. Do they have that? And I don't know all the intricacies of these TV contracts and everything. I know that sometimes you know that one one network will get in 
get the okay and they get the first choice. The other network gets second choice and things like that. But in the past, it's been a night game. Uh, so people are telling me it's a CBS doubleheader that day. You know, I, I'm looking. It'll be a night game then. Yeah. Um, yep, I apologize, somebody. There it is, November 4th. SEC on CBS at 2.30 and Game of the Week at 6.45. Someone had asked me earlier, and I read right over it. So my apologies. As always, you guys uh, are on top of it. So, yes, that it's got to be. And to me... That's a Heisman moment for Jaden Daniels. Uh, he could, he could possibly, and I'm, I can't guarantee it because you never know from week to week. But he could possibly win it, or maybe not, because like I said, this past weekend the three quarterbacks that were mentioned prominently, and you got to take Brock Bowers out of the mix because he's hurt. But you talk about Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Michael Penix. All of them uh, didn't do anything to enhance their possibility of maybe being up there and I I think Caleb Williams dropped and, and Penix may have dropped also now Bo Nix he had a decent game they I know he established a new record for most starts for a quarterback something like 54 or something like that but I I mean he had a an okay game compared to the rest of them but I'm trying to think if there's anybody else now that has really pushed themselves in as much in the, the let's say the minds of the uh, people who vote than Jane Daniels uh, congratulations to Philip. He is the winner of our, or the qualifier for the Alec Naiman catering party. The voice you heard, that was Jonathan Allen of the Commanders. As you might imagine, that was the cleanest part of his quote last night after the Commanders fell uh, to the lowly Giants 14-7. He just went off. Uh, it was NBC Sports Washington. Um, the part you heard, they whooped our ass plain and simple. Again, it got pretty salty after that so it would have been one of those clips where if we had played the whole thing it would have been nothing but a series of beeps but he did not hold back he was frustrated to say the least since we're talking nfl and i know we're running out of time and it's not maybe fair to michael bronner to bring this up but i am disappointed that michael was beaten on that belichick story by ian rapaport what do you mean what do you mean I'm talking about the uh, this thing about the lucrative uh, contract extension when we were talking last week about him being on the hot seat, you being the Patriot uh, sympathizer, and you got beat by him. Oh, oh, I, oh! That Rappaport was was yeah. ahead of me on on having the extension story. Because you know you you could have shut me up last week and said, "What are you talking about, Lee? Don't you know he's got a new contract? He's not going anywhere." Well, I mean, I don't think the contract necessarily like it, say. They had gotten smoked by 30 yesterday. Obviously, it's news, but I don't think it necessarily absolves him completely of being on the hot seat. It adds a little bit of context, but, uh, but the, you know, they got a great win yesterday, so uh, we'll see what happens from here. I think you need to win again in Miami next week to, you know, really for it to matter in the, in the larger scheme of the season, but we'll see what happens. It was a good I, win yesterday. I, yeah, I, it's a great win for them. It was home. They were an underdog, but... I disagree. I think it changes the whole narrative. There's there's no need to talk about him being removed when you get a if your owner is giving you a huge contract uh, and I don't know how long. Do you know how long it's for? No, they never tell anything about Belichick's contract. All right, so hour number one's in the books. We'll uh, come back with Bob Baumhauer, uh, the Millite Golf Court with John Ricchetti, South Alabama coach Kane Awamak, all coming up in hour number two. We'll talk Auburn with Matt Cohen at eight. 
Alabama with Mike Rodak at 8.30. And, of course, Dean Waite will be along in hour number three as well. We are jam-packed. Come on by and see us. The doors are open here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill, the shops of Bel Air. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSB. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station 105.5 FM WNSP and on the Sound of Mobile app the latest sports news traffic weather and timely guests with Mark Heim Lee Shervanian and Michael Brawner the opening kickoff 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 here are Mark Lee and Michael all right, 7.05, hour number two. Thanks for hanging with us on this Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air, where the doors are now open for you. Come on by, uh, have some complimentary beignets and coffee. Enjoy the morning. Get your weekend started off, or your week started off right. Yeah, and uh, we do get a game seven tonight in the American League Championship Series. It's a showdown in the Lone Star State. The Rangers in Houston. This is a really strange series. The road team has won every game. The Rangers stayed alive, staved off elimination last night. They beat Houston by a score of 9-2. to two. So it's game seven tonight. That's the late game, 7 o'clock early game. Game six, the NLCS, Arizona and Philadelphia. The Phillies at home, and they lead three games to two. So that's your baseball fair tonight. Your football game. We'll feature the 49ers at Minnesota. We'll have that game on WNSP at uh, 7 o'clock. Some of the uh, NFL notes yesterday, Bill Belichick becomes the third NFL coach ever to hit the 300 win mark. He got it yesterday in the last second. Patriots beat the Bills 29-25. And then afterwards it was announced that Belichick had agreed to a lucrative contract extension with owner Robert Kraft during the summer which pretty well changes the narrative of Belichick being on the hot seat. I mean, if Kraft rewards him with this huge contract, we don't know how much it is, we don't know how many long it is, but you would have to assume that uh, that talk has certainly died down considerably. Some of the other things, Mark, Eagles, Kansas City, both won. They're both 6-1 and one right now. They both have the best records. They are the two teams that were in the Super Bowl. Today, at this point of the season, would you take Kansas City and Philadelphia a repeat in the Super Bowl, or would you take the field? Uh, probably. I'd have to take both of them. Yeah, it's either the two to uh, meet again or the field. I would take the field just because the, uh, the the odds of both of them getting back over everybody else out there is still probably a little bit of a long shot, but you. But the point is made, which is nobody's playing better than both of those teams right now. I would take the field also. You still have the 49ers hanging around, and you don't want to overlook them. The other, the story that I found fascinating was Tyson Bajit, the uh, Division II quarterback from Shepard, making his first start for the injured Justin Fields, leading the Bears to win over the Raiders 30-12. to Now, Nobody knew anything about him. The Senior Bowl brought him in. Jim Nagy knew a lot about him. We interviewed him last uh, Senior Bowl week, 
Great interview. His dad, the arm wrestling champ of the world, I guess. I don't know if he still is, but he was a fascinating interview. I, I'm only sorry I didn't take his phone number down that we could get him back on, but his son goes out there, leads three scoring drives, and the Bears win. You All the hype about Bryce Young, uh, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, none of those could quarterback their team to win in their opening starts. This guy, a Division II quarterback out of Shepard, he did. Uh, the college polls, and again, until we get to the college football playoff poll, which should be coming up in, a, I guess, a week or two, Alabama's win over Tennessee. They're now nine in the AP, eight in the coaches' poll. Georgia is number one in the AP for the 19th straight year. They're followed by Michigan, Ohio State, and Florida State. I'm going to tell you something. If I had a vote, and I don't, so it doesn't matter, but if I had a vote, I'd put Ohio State over Michigan right now. They beat Penn State, two undefeated teams playing top ten. Another uh, squeaker for Michigan, what was it, like 49 nothing? their worst defeat of Michigan State in, my gosh, years. So that didn't impress me so, at all. Okay, so let me ask you, though, because aren't you one of these guys, though, that refuses to remove Georgia from the top spot because you've got to earn it? Mm-hmm. Or, well, why doesn't that hold true with everybody else? So if Michigan stays at number two or wherever they were uh, and it wasn't impressive, why are you penalizing them but you wouldn't penalize the team in the top spot? Well, I just think Ohio State's played them. They've beaten Notre Dame. They've beaten Penn State. Michigan hasn't beaten anybody. That's why I would pick them. So, but Georgia's been been considered. I mean, Georgia's schedule was kind of like the laughing stock. Well, I wouldn't going remove the Georgia. They didn't play this week, so I'm not going to penalize them. I'd keep them at number one. Okay, but last week we had this conversation about sure. Georgia, and you said you weren't willing to move them because they were number one, and nobody's knocked them off. Right. And you didn't want to get into how they played, just the overall outcome of that game so i'm just simply asking does it does does the number one ranked team in the country get a pass on the way you yeah, played simply because definitely. they're number one they didn't cheat <laughs> okay. i'm teasing i'm only teasing yeah. on that yeah. that hasn't been proven yet but it's uh, that's that's been a narrative over the weekend about stealing signs i'm i'm not going to get too much into that i i've talked to some people about this mark and they think this thing is overblown considerably that there's really nothing to it but who am I to say? No, I, I just think that Ohio State deserves to be over Michigan in the same conference now because of who they beat, whereas Michigan has had a really soft schedule. Now they'll get tougher. They still have Penn State. They still have Ohio State. I'm not sure who else, though. Uh, you guys can jump in. Unbelievable second half by Alabama uh, last week or over the weekend. Uh, complete and utter dominance. Um, Nick Saban, what was, what was really kind of cool about it, though, for you Alabama fans, as you know, first quarter comments didn't seem, didn't seem to be too concerned. Halftime, very cool, calm, collect, confident. You kind of got the impression that Nick knew all week that he had the better team. It was really just a question of them kind of locking in. Um, and then, of course, they come out and they get the, the touchdown in like two plays. Boom, boom, touchdown. The scoop and score I thought was a huge play, but Alabama absolutely shut down Tennessee. Josh Heupel can, or the reporters asking questions, can gripe about the calls, and I get it. Everybody does it. But I thought the bigger issue was going for it twice on fourth and short and not being able to convert. I thought those were huge plays in the game. That defense, as we talk about, 
continues to play championship caliber. What you need in all seriousness from Alabama, though, is for them to put together a whole game. They have yet to do that. But we talked about it week in and week out. I sound like a broken record that they're going to have to fight and claw for everything. And after that first half, it wasn't looking good in Tuscaloosa. But, man, they turned it on. And when they're good, man, they're, they're as good as anybody in the country. And now the narrative is not that is Saban going to retire, is Alabama down, but is this potentially his best coaching job uh, ever? <laughs> you people, the way you change from day to day. Whoever said he was retiring? What about you people? You're the one that you. just changed the way in which you rank teams. We I just forget that. that. We're on Alabama now. Don't try to uh, push it off. Well, who are no, you're, you're being hypocritical, time? though. No, I'm not. Who's you're blaming saying? people for changing the narrative. Yet. Where was the narrative about him retiring? It, Nothing about him retiring, but, it, said. but okay, so I misspoke. Right. So let me apologize. Something yes. that you're incapable of doing today. <gasps> Ooh, what, put words in my mouth. Yes. Yeah, oh, so okay. my point is, my everybody's talking about is this the end of the dynasty? They they did a whole. There have been stories about it actually uh, all season long about how he's uh, lost uh, with the NIL. He's lost locker rooms, the pre-snap penalties. I mean, I can keep going, and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a thing all season long. And now the narrative is this is the most resilient team he's uh, he's ever coached, and that this might be his best coaching job. And here you are with all the problems that they've had, and they're sitting with one loss to one of the top-ranked teams in the country, and they have the then they control their destiny in the SEC. Were you worried at halftime? Uh, sure. If I, I'm an Alabama fan, I wasn't. You weren't worried. No. no. Okay. I felt they'd come back. I didn't know they'd come back that fast though. Forty seconds to score a touchdown. I just had this feeling that they're playing at home, massive crowd out there, so much into this game, a must win. I just had this feeling. And I also felt more confident with their offense than I did with the Tennessee offense. I will give credit to Joe Milton. He had a really good first half, uh, better than I thought. In fact, that's why it's tough to speculate on who's good, who's bad from week to week. Because when I saw Milton last week against Texas A&M, they couldn't throw the football or catch it at all. All of a sudden, they come out, and they look like Hernan Hooker was back there, and Hyatt was catching passes. They were really, really good, and that guy Squirrel, yeah. I'll tell you about him. I mean, he was really, really good. Yeah, he so, was, actually. So I'm, my mindset is like, can they continue this for a second half at Alabama? I don't know what Nick did at halftime. They always say, you know, he, he did this, he did that. I don't know. But I just felt that Alabama would come out and make a game of it. I didn't know they'd get the lead back that quickly. And as you pointed out, that defensive play really turned the game around. But I will give a lot of credit to Tennessee. They played a lot better in the first half than I would have thought. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it, it, where I think Alabama fans, when, Al, when Tennessee had the back-to-back -back foul starts, uh, of course, Alabama then came back with a pre-snap penalty there. But Alabama with only one, one penalty the whole game. But in, in that, I think there was like 10 or 11 minutes left in the third quarter. At that point, I was like, you know what? Um, they're going to get, they're clearly going to, they're going to make some noise. Because after that, after that first touchdown in the second half, as poorly as Alabama played, they're only down a score. Uh, spoke, I think, to, to your point about not being as concerned. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to talk to Mike Rodak a little bit about that. I'm going to ask him about Kool-Aid McKinstry for sure. Uh, one of the, well, you know, one of the other things I wanted to ask, and we, I know we got to take a break, one of the other things I want to ask Dean Wade if we have enough time, and it happened in the Alabama game, and it happened in another game I sent him a clip of, um, is when the official has to hold up the game because you make a late sub. What defenses are starting to do now, and Tennessee did it, was they jog the slowest guy they can out there, 
and the referee has to hold the ball, and it, it required, I think, Alabama in this case to burn a timeout. And I think it, I'll have to go back and look at my notes. It happened in another game this week. It's it's one of these things. It's a new trend kind of starting. And I got, we got to ask Dean, like, how do you officiate that? Like, what's the deal? What is the proper amount of time for a defense to get the secondary um, to get to get their their sub out on there? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. It, I thought it was a interesting interesting turn of events there in the Alabama game. All right, we come back. Let's get scoreboard traffic and weather. We'll get uh, John Rochetti on for the Middle Light uh, Golf Report. we got some Chick-fil-A coming up as well. Kane Womack's going to join us. we got a lot going on, a little time to do it. Doors are open for you. Come on by and see us at Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Complimentary beignets and coffee. Uh, it's Sports Radio 105.5 FM, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 7.23, welcome back in. The Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues from Baumhauer's Victory Grill, where, believe it or not, despite the temperature, it's chili season. That's right. After years of perfecting the, re- the recipe, the method, and the ingredients, Bob Baumhauer's Chili is back for the season. You can enjoy a cup for just $3.99 or a bowl for $6.49 while it's here. You know, I thought about the chili yesterday, but it was so warm, I went with the fajita uh, wrap. Uh, we brought the family out yesterday. John Ricchetti's on the line now with the uh, Golf Report. The Zozo title is in the books, Johnny. How did it wind up? Well, Colin Morikawa hasn't won on the PJ Tour in two, almost two years. Hard to believe as, uh, as good as this guy's played, but it's, uh, it's been a couple of years since he's won. But back in his winner's circle this weekend, final round 63 in Japan, uh, picked up his sixth PGA Tour victory, and he is the champion of the Zozo Championship. But our own Mo, uh, Robbie Shelton, great tournament, tied for fourth, won almost $400,000. He's uh, creeping up on the $2 million mark for the 23 golf season. So uh, congratulations to Robbie Shelton on an outstanding uh, event at the Zozo Championship. Also, the Crushers win the team event in Live Golf, led by Captain Bryson DeChambeau this weekend, part of the Live Golf Team Championship down in Miami. Uh, and also a note this week, the Steelwood Intercollegiate Golf Championships getting ready to kick off Saturday and Sunday, 36 holes on Saturday, 18 on Sunday. The University of Alabama nationally ranked team, which Nick Dunlop, the reigning U.S. amateur champion, will be in the field uh, this week at Steelwood. So I encourage people, if you want to watch, watch this, the, the number two ranked amateur in the world, Nick Dunlop, he will be at Steelwood this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, competing with the University of Alabama. Also, the like South Alabama and also UAB will be in the 14-team uh, field. A very, very strong field at Steelwood this weekend, and it's open to the public. So we'll be on the air tonight live at 6 o'clock. We'll be from Terry Thompson Chevrolet with a complete recap of the world of golf. Very good, Johnny. We'll check in with you later this week, Friday. 
All right, guys. Have a great week. All right, guys, who had the worst weekend? We've kind of uh, thrown out some guys for you. Obviously, Arkansas, Sam Pittman, maybe Dan Enos specifically, but Arkansas makes that list. Lincoln Riley in USC, after the loss, does not make any players available for the postgame, uh, which I thought was – Did he talk, though? Did he yes. make him? Okay. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, Michigan State got a lot of heat on social media, had to come out with a, a, a an apology uh, during their pregame trivia, which was done by a third party, apparently, one of the trivia questions is where was Adolf Hitler born? And there's a big picture of Hitler on their scoreboard, their jumbotron. That went viral. Uh, they had to apologize. Uh, Tennessee, I mean, you, you you don't score any points in the second half after being up 13 in Tuscaloosa. That's that's a it's not exactly a it's a pretty poor showing. So uh, those were those were four candidates. Was there anybody? Dabo Sweeney had to apologize for Sweeney being on Suicide Watch comment. Yeah, and the loss. And the loss. Uh, so Three losses this year. This was a team that some people, some talking heads picked to be in the uh, Final Four. Yeah. Uh, so those were those were a couple of the, the nominations for worst weekend of the year in college football. If you'd like to add to that list or... Or, or vote for one, we we certainly want to hear from you in, in that regard. I don't know if I'm going to put Mac Brown in there. I didn't hear anything about him after their loss. They, losing to Virginia, I mean, you just, and, and unless you follow the ACC, you don't know how bad a loss this is. Virginia, I think, only had like one win. North Carolina was undefeated. The quarterback was a, certainly a strong candidate to win the Heisman, if not to be the number one draft pick. And they got beat by Virginia, which pretty much removes them from any college football playoff talk. Not that they were in it, but lurking on the outside. If they had gone on, let's say, and gone undefeated and won the championship of the league, they might have been considered. But right now, that's 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 not, that's ancient history. That would be comparable to, like, uh, maybe an LSU or a Tennessee losing to a, um, like, a Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah, easily, um, yes. Maybe a Mississippi State. Probably if, more of a Vanderbilt. If you were home yeah. and you lost to them. And I think I think North Carolina was at home. Bad, bad loss. I yeah. mean, your whole season, you're not even, you, you pretty much go into this game thinking you're going to win. You're teetering on maybe being undefeated. You still have some tough games to go. And then you lose to Virginia. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kane Womack, the South Alabama football coach, joins us next. And you... Ladies and gentlemen, have a chance at some fried deliciousness. All that coming up next from Bomb Howard Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. 7.32, welcome back in. You hear the music that can only mean one thing on this Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff. It's time for you guys to take a shot at some fried deliciousness. All right, uh, Bill Belichick uh, finally got to win number 300 yesterday in his NFL career, thanks to that last-second win for Chick-fil-A. Who's number two on the list? Who is the uh, second-most wins in NFL history as a coach. He is obviously not coaching anymore. And, um, in fact, neither of the top two are coaching anymore. But uh, who's number two? Uh, that some, I think he's got 318 wins. So Belichick, who knows? He may get 
past uh, this person and, and put the run on the uh, number one guy if he has that long-term contract. We hope uh, Kane Womack will be talking about some of his coaching milestones in years to come. He's off to uh, coming off that terrific win. Actually, the last two games have been uh, terrific wins. Kane's the head coach of the South Alabama Jags, and they've got Louisiana coming to town this coming Saturday. Coach, welcome to the opening kickoff here at Victory Grill. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Yeah, glad to be on with you guys. That's great to have you on. You know that. So what motivation do uh, you got for Louisiana? We did well with the uh, Southern Miss and the billboards. What do you got tucked away for the uh, Louisiana game this week? <laughs> Well, you know, I, honestly, this one, uh, you know, the, the exciting thing is you get into conference play and you get into familiar foes. You know, um, Louisiana has been a great program uh, in this conference for, for, you know, certainly the last five, six years here. And so I think our players will be pretty fired up. We were we were fortunate uh, a year ago we went in and, and – uh, and, uh, won at Lafayette, uh, and that's a that's a hard place to go win. In fact, I, I don't think they at the time had not lost a conference game in five years uh, at home. Uh, but uh, but certainly uh, them coming to town. You know, if you remember in 2021, we uh, we really kind of had them had them beat, missed a field goal at the end, also missed a touchdown opportunity with about four minutes to go. So uh, I think our players will be pretty fired up uh, uh, when Louisiana comes to town. You know, I don't know if you had a chance to watch much football over the weekend uh, as you get ready for Louisiana, but one thing that it caught my attention, James Madison, a team you lost to, is now in the top 25, so good for the Sun Belt, yeah. and, and maybe it, it, you look at their win over the Jags up there, maybe it doesn't look so bad. Well, it looks pretty bad to me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think they're, uh, they're a very good football team uh, for sure. Um, you know, I think they've got a great defensive line. Um, cause a lot of chaos and havoc up front. I think they've got a running quarterback that can extend plays when when things break down, and so they're doing some a good job there. That's one of those you know you look back at the end of the year and uh, would have loved to have seen our team play with a lot more consistency because I don't think we gave ourselves a chance from the get go. But certainly, um, you know I, I think what what Coach Signetti's done over there is, is uh, has been really positive. I mean you know to to come into the league and uh, have success this quickly, I think, is a, a, a real testament to, to his team and um, just some of the some of the work that they put in day in and day out. Kane, uh, thanks for joining us, by the way. We appreciate it. Uh, where Where is this team uh, at this point in the season? Uh, we, we talked about James Madison. Obviously, the Central uh, Michigan loss was, was hurt, yet here you are in the last two weeks outscoring opponents, what, 110 to 10. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know you guys aren't the team that you, you took the field against Central Michigan with. Are, is this the team that you kind of expected to be on the field all year against all opponents? Is it somewhere in the middle? Just like, where are we? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, our, our wins um, that, you know, that obviously look a, a bit lopsided, uh, I think you could probably throw Oklahoma State in there. We're really just executing. We're doing our job. You know, there, there's probably one or two plays in there that, Somebody does something pretty special, um, but but really, we're playing well on defense. We're playing hard. Um, you know, when you play hard with effort, good things happen. You know, occasionally we've gotten a takeaway on defense. Offensively, we we're not hitting. You know, these 65-yard touchdown passes or 70-yard runs. I mean, we're just 
we're we're extending drives and and making plays down the field. And so my point in saying that is I think we're playing when, when we just do our job. We're a really good football team, and uh, and we can we can go down the field on people and and score and 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 get stops and do all those things like we have shown already this season against Power Five opponents and conference opponents. But uh, when we don't. It doesn't matter who we play. Um, you know, you, you don't play well enough uh, against Central Michigan. You don't play well enough against James Madison or Tulane, for that matter. All three of those games, really, when you look at it, honestly, it just comes down to us. And so I'm pleased with what we've done the last two weeks. I think our guys have a real urgency in our program right now because of some of the early adversity that is, you know, that, that you know, they've earned. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so I think, you know, they're, they're playing – uh, with their backs against the wall a little bit, and that's a good thing. Is is that the is that the most difficult part of being a coach at this level? Maybe not so much the X's and O's, but making sure your guys are dialed in and focused and and doing what they have to do in order to win as a whole. Yeah. Well, I think I think the hardest thing as a coach and and the most challenging thing is can you stay focused on just on on fixing the things that you're not doing well enough as a team. Not getting, you know, uh, emotional about it. Not becoming so disappointed that you have an adverse effect on your players, but just finding a way to identify what they're not doing well enough, and then having the, you know, the the wisdom, um, you know, the patience, right, to be able to get those things fixed and let our players get those things fixed. And so, you know, I think as we're starting to make the turn here on the back end of the season and then the conference play, you know, for, for the rest of the way here, um, I think we're starting to play some really good football. And I think that's a great, um, you know, pat on the back to, to our coaches. We haven't played to the level that we're capable of all season long at the beginning of the year. But we're starting to trend in that direction, and I think that's you know that's a testament to the coaches. That's a testament to our players starting to lean into their coaching, um, and and if we'll do that, um, you know I think we'll be very pleased with the outcome uh, week to week. All right, we're talking with Kane Walmack, South Alabama football coach. Kane, uh, four o'clock start this coming Saturday, Louisiana. Kind of give us your your thoughts on this game preview and how you match up against the Cajuns. Well, I, I like our matchup. I mean, I, I think we have a very talented football team. You know, obviously we've got uh, a, a number of guys that were out uh, really towards the beginning of the season, Devin Boyce and Braylon McReynolds and, you know, Keith Goldman, Ed Smith. I mean, these, these are these are very good football players. Um, Josh McCullough. So, you know, you, you don't have some of those some of those pieces. But at the same time, I think, you know, we've, we've stayed relatively healthy the last few weeks. I think we've got, you know, we don't really have any mismatches uh, when I look at going into, into this week of preparation. I think we match up well against them athletically, schematically, a um, number of those areas. To me, though, it's really just about making sure that we do a great job of, of containing their quarterback, their new quarterback, Zeon Chris. I remember him coming out of high school thinking this guy's, you know, really talented, 6'2", 218 pounds, has a has a, has an above average arm talent, um, but but can really run the football, and that's what he's been able to do. Is he's extending drives, running the football, and so we got to do a great job of limiting him. Uh, and then you know Louisiana's always had a good defense, right? And so you know we've got to do a great job of finding ways to establish the run. I think we're doing that now. I think with Damian Webb, Kentrell Bullock, you know we've got 
you know, guys like Marco Lee and, and uh, even even Dorian the other day got his first touchdown. Um, so some really good things that we're doing in the run game, but we got to continue to lean into that if we want to win games late. I wanted to ask you this. I, I mentioned if you had a chance to watch any of the games over the weekend because, for me, I had never seen situations where a fair catch punt was so, let's say, turned turned against Iowa because apparently the guy, fair catch, that they called a punt back in the Tennessee game, fair catch on the kickoff. They had to move the ball back to the four. I don't know if you've ever been privy to games like that where did he fair catch, did he not, did it influence the outcome, or do you actually, while watching this, say, you know what, maybe we should uh, pay a little more attention to something like that or make sure our punt returners you know, do the right thing? I'd, I'd like to yeah. get your take on all that. Well, I, it's it's really interesting. Um, I, I did not see the Iowa game specifically at the time or the Tennessee game. Um, uh, the the week before we played uh, Southern Miss, the same thing happened to them. They had they had you know questionable whether or not their returner had given up the fair catch signal, but he returned it for a touchdown, and they called it all the way back. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes officials are put in such a hard place there because they want to make sure that they're protecting the returner, right? So if there's any indication that this guy is throwing up the fair catch signal, then you want to, you know, you want to make sure that you're protecting him. Um, but then at the same time, right, you also want to give him an opportunity to return the ball. I think the clear, you know, the easiest thing is to say, look, if it is a clear over and back wave above your shoulders, right, that is where we're going to say, hey, you've gotten a fair catch. And if you're not demonstrative enough about it, well, you know, that's really kind of on you. <laughs> you know, you didn't protect yourself for, as a fair catch signaler. So, uh, you know, I think to me it's about being very demonstrative about it, right, overemphasizing the fair catch. And so we, we really have worked on that in the offseason. I'm a big analytics guy. You know, some of those scenarios come up uh, in the off season. They come up in a week of preparation, uh, and so we really talked to you know Colin Lacey about doing those things because Colin used to do the same thing and kind of halfway put up a hand. And, and now at that point, you're just leaving it to uh, the discretion of an official. And obviously, we saw those things you know went in the wrong direction this week. He's the uh, he's Kane Womack, the South Alabama football coach. Before I let you go, a couple quick things. Uh, I got to ask you: Was the the game was the environment at Hancock Whitney against Southern Miss the best South Alabama game environment you had to date, in your opinion? I heard nothing but great stuff. Night game, electric. You guys were putting up points. It was packed. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a great environment. I mean, I think our fans showed up. Um, you know, I, I, there were some moments last year that I thought our fans really did a tremendous job as well. I think we've had two years now um, where we've had some pretty great moments and, and pretty electric environments inside Hancock Whitney Stadium. I will say this: I, I think I think there is a there's going to come a time uh, where we're going to see. Uh, better and better inside that that stadium. I think we're going to continue to get better um, uh, attendance. You know, as we continue continue to build this program the right right way. Uh, some of that is is certainly our on field production. Some of that is right just year after year. Uh, building a fan base of, uh, that, that, that comes out to tailgate, that in, enjoys pregame festivities, that, that understands, you know, uh, what, what a game day environment looks like and what it means to cheer in different situations and all those things. So those are the things that are fun for me 
to see us kind of hammer out as a football program and as a university. And I, I think, you know, our best days are ahead of us when it comes to, to that game day experience. And then I wanted to thank you for uh, the billboard stuff. It was great content for us today after we had uh, Joel Erdman on. Him being a baseball guy, I threw him a couple softballs. He, he refused to knock him out of the park. But we came up with some great ideas for you guys to put up some signs in Hattiesburg. Um, Kane is able, even if your football team isn't, was, was one of the more popular ones. Uh, yeah, we, we, that's, went, that's pretty we went program. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also went with uh, – uh, hub city where football is optional. I mean, we were just spitballing though, Kane. You know, just just throwing some ideas out there to see what stuck. Well, I'm sure you guys had some fun with that one, but uh, you know, I obviously said what I said, and and uh, you know, we, we we move on from it. But I am very proud of this city. Um, I'm protective of this city and this university. Um, I think when the city of Mobile and the University of South Alabama pull the rope in the same direction, this community uh, benefits. And so, um, you know, to me, I, I'm excited about the direction we're going and, and what we're doing here on our campus and, and the part that, that our football program plays in, in building a better mobile for all of us. So uh, th those things are really exciting and they're really fun. And, and, uh, and I, want, I truly want what's best for, for Mobile and, and the University of South Alabama. Uh, and that's why you're the perfect man for the job, sir. Well said. We appreciate it. Uh, best of luck this weekend. We'll be in touch, and we always appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, guys. Jay's up and Leo. That's South Alabama football coach Kane Womack. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, college sports, we got a great event coming up here in Mobile coming up December 6th, but we're telling you now because tickets are going to be tough to come by for the 11th annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. Uh, there's only 300 tickets sold. December 6th in St. Dominic's Murphy Center. The Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash is an organization that supports wheelchair sports at Auburn University. The club was inspired by Mobile native Dr. Jared Rim, who was born with spina bifida, became the first wheelchair athlete to compete uh, for Auburn University. This event has raised over $150,000 for Auburn wheelchair sports over the years. And this year, Auburn head coach Rob Taylor will speak at the event. Coach Taylor is also the coach for the United States Paralympic team. This event will be a great opportunity for parents who have children with a disability to get information that will help them and their children get involved in wheelchair sports. Again, it's the 11th annual event. Uh, it's the Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. There's a $10,000 drawdown. So, Everything else I've told you, man, only 300 tickets sold. You can win 10 grand. Uh, pretty good odds there. And it's going to be catered by Bay Gourmet, DJed by our own Matt McCoy, and they're going to have some outstanding silent auction items for both Alabama and Auburn. And, of course, they'll have a signed soccer ball this year by Pele. How cool is that? You want more information? You want to donate to the silent auction? You want to get tickets? Call Dr. Mike Rim. Here's his number, 232-4753. That's 232 232- 4753 at the 11th Annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. You don't want to miss it. When we come back, we're going to catch up with Bob Baumhauer for a couple of minutes. We're at his place after all. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Come on by and see us. It's Sports Radio 105.5 FM, WNSP and WNSP.com. Come on by. Beignets and complimentary coffee. Check it out. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. 
7.52. Welcome back in. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. Hey, a shout-out to WNSP's team of the day at Presley Roofing. We appreciate everything that they do here for the sports station. Presley Roofing, been around since 1949. Your trusted roofing repair and installation contractor in Mobile and the surrounding area. For more than 70 years, they have provided the Gulf Coast with personalized, high-quality roofing services at affordable rates. They serve both residential and commercial customers. They bring elite craftsmanship to every job they take on. You can contact them today to get your startup free on-site roofing estimate. Call them at 457-6598. That's 457-6598. George Spurlock and the folks at Presley Roofing, he speaks to every customer uh, nonstop. They don't chase storms. They've been here forever. Don't wait for problems with your roofing. They do a lot of preventative measures as well. They can come out and check just to make sure all is good with your roof. Free roof inspection and estimates, comprehensive roof repairs, storm damage restoration, roof replacements, re-roofing, new roof construction, emergency repair services. You name it, they do it. Presley Roofing, George Spurlock. Check them out online at presleyroofinginc.com. That's presleyroofinginc.com. Give them a call, 457-6598. Presley Roofing, WNSP's team of the day. Let's talk to uh, Mr. Bob Baumhauer. We are at Victory Grill today. You can come by, have some coffee, some beignets, and uh, share some uh, football stories with us as we will ask Bob himself. Mr. Baumhauer, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Doing great. Were you uh, concerned when Alabama fell behind uh, at halftime against Tennessee? A bit. Um, I, you know, I had a phone call with one of my team members, and uh, and, and I wasn't able to watch part of the, that, uh, uh, the game for, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. I asked him how we're doing. He says, we're getting killed. <laughs> and and, I, and I, um, I said, what do you mean we're getting killed? And, and he said the score was 13 to 7. I said, hey, we're good. You know, coach, coach will say something at halftime, and We'll have a much better second half. Promise, I told him that, and uh, darn if it didn't happen. But it just goes to show you how uh, how amazing Coach Saban is, and um, and I like this team. You know, um, they don't quit, and uh, they might get complacent once in a while, but they don't quit, and they learn from their mistakes. Bob Baumhauer joining us. We are at Victory Grill. Bob, you t- uh, kind of tinkered with this menu a little bit here. Oh yeah, and, and uh, that's a it's a work in progress, and uh, we've got a new menu coming out the first of the year. Um, but yes, sir, we have. I had the uh, salmon about a, a week ago. Uh, something that was new to me, I didn't know if it was on the menu before, was the the, the fajita wrap. So I've actually discovered some new items on the menu. Uh, talk about the. Uh, you still have the inflation uh, menu going too? Yeah, we call that inflation bites, and and. Uh, that's in place until we roll out our, and we call that a wrap. That, that you know, is that's that that's that supplement to the menu that goes around the menu. And uh, we've got our holiday version coming out in a couple of weeks. And uh, there'll be a couple little changes to that, but it'll def, it'll have a a Christmas flavor, uh, kind of Santa specials type of thing. Uh, but the wrap that you see now with, with those great, great deals. I mean, you can't get better deals than that. That, that, that hamburger is that's the best deal in town. 
uh, but that will be in place for a couple more weeks. Before I let you go, what was it like watching NFL last night with two quarterbacks from Alabama, Tua and Jalen, going head-to-head -head against well, one another? This is something it, you didn't see years ago. No, but, I, you know, don't forget we had five guys playing on the Dolphins back when I was playing from Alabama. And it was just really, really amazing. Both of those are class acts. Uh, those, those, those are just really good young men. And then, hey, what about all the wide receivers? You got Julio now with with uh, Philly. And so, uh, you know, Waddle. And it's just really, really, really good uh, to, to see those guys. And um, and they're making uh, folks from Alabama really proud. It was good. And two well-coached teams, two classy teams. I love the way Philly took a knee at the end of the game. Um, I wish uh, Miami could have played uh, uh, well enough to win, but um, they are going in the right direction. And then Philly is just a really, really strong team and very, very well-coached team. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a football fan. I love watching a game like that. All right, sir, we'll let you go. Tonight you'll be showing 49ers and Minnesota on your 75-plus TVs or baseball, so it'll be a busy night tonight. Thank you so much, Bob. We'll we'll talk All to you right. next week. You'll have a great day. Good, good talking with you all. By the way, the, the best hit at Bryant-Denny didn't happen during the game. Did you see that one fan got out on the field after the game and everybody was kind of gone, and security absolutely laid him out. His cell phone went flying. Like, if a phone could have wings, this one had wings, Lee. Absolutely destroyed him. Didn't we just a week ago talk about the big hit of the game? I forgot which game it was where somebody came out of the stands afterwards and got leveled. Yeah. No, this guy got yeah. absolutely. It was open field. It was about at the 22. He was looking for a cutback lane. Didn't find it, and security actually just destroyed when are, him. When are they going to learn? When? Man, I don't I know. Mean, who wants to take a chance on getting daylight beaten out of you, maybe a concussion, and landing in the pokey? Yeah, I think what uh, I think what happened with this guy was he tried to cut back right at the wrong time and do just, you know, if he was going full speed toward, toward the sideline, he might have he might have not gotten the brunt of it, but absolutely. And then the security guy's little partner stood over the dude and talked trash to him. Who doesn't talk trash these days? Yeah, right? it was uh, it was it was. Fantastic, fantastic. I don't know how. I don't know if that guy's still alive, but whatever, whatever. Uh, all right. So coming up, we got another busy hour coming up here. Matt Cohen, my colleague over to Hale.com, will talk some Auburn, Ole Miss. Dean Waite, We won't have enough time. I already guarantee you, we won't have enough time to get to everything with Dean Waite, But he will join us uh, in about 20 minutes or so. And then Mike Rodak on Alabama. So got a lot going on in hour number three. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Bomb Howard's Victory Grill. Come on by and see us. Complimentary beignets, complimentary coffee uh, right here at the Shops of Bel Air. It's Sports Radio 105.5 FM, WNSP and WNSP.com. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station 105.5 FM WNSP and on the Sound of Mobile app the latest sports news traffic weather and timely guests with Mark Heim Lee Shervanian and Michael Brauner 
the opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right, 8.05, hour number three. Here we are. Uh, the Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of the Bel Air. We appreciate you making parts making us part of your morning. Well, this hour is pretty much going to be devoted to college football. A couple of your colleagues with AL.com will join us, including Matt Cohen, who covered the Auburn loss to Ole Miss. Matt, I want to welcome you to the show again. Good morning. You doing all right? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on the show again. Now, did the Auburn uh, football team deserve to be booed Saturday night? So I've gotten a, I've gotten a lot of emails about this, um, and <laughs> I and I I wrote a story about the way that the team, at least from my impression, seemed to be booed off the field multiple times after some really bad drives on, on offense, and the amount of emails I got from fans saying like, oh no, we were booing the refs, we were booing the Ole Miss fans, we were booing any number of like, I got I think at least ten other things that people must. Boo claim they were booing other than Auburn um but like I, I no you were booing Auburn that offense was horrible and they here's the thing I don't really you know want to sit here and say like let's boo a 18 year old kid but also really what they're booing is the coaching staff I think because the inability to figure out the same offensive problems over and over again is the is the problem at this point? I like they've talked a ton about Auburn's roster not being as talented as the SEC, and that's true. But to have the same problems show up again like this with like fundamental problems like lining up wrong, having twelve guys in the huddle, uh, running the wrong routes—that's coaching. That's not having a roster that's not as talented. And I'm and also I'm also not sitting here and saying advocating like let's fire Hugh Freeze. That's not the problem either. But. The booing was deserved toward the coaches. I, I don't want to advocate booing a college kid, but, like, I don't think they were wrong to boo. All right, so what can you make rhyme or reason out of this quarterback rotation? It seems like every time we have you on or every week we're talking about it, there's just there, there doesn't seem to be any – any any rhythm to this it's just like it's almost like someone's over there flipping a coin what, what what do you make of the quarterback rotation and at what point do you just stick with a guy and be done with it i think at this point this is what auburn's going to be this season like you're seven games in at this point if auburn was going to stick with a guy you would think they would have done it by now and i it's because they, they don't have a guy they're both they, they both have packages is, is what Hugh Freeze has said. And at first, like the comment that Auburn tried to make was, well, we have two quarterbacks who can be productive, but really they have zero quarterbacks who can be productive. And that's not going to change this season. Peyton Thorne will likely be back next season. Robbie Ashford can graduate. And if he wants to transfer, he can transfer. Obviously he can come back next year too, if he, if, if he would like to, but this is what you're getting from Auburn this, this 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 season. I don't see that changing going forward. Just because, as I said, they would have by now. You're seven games in. This is what you've done. Um, I don't think anything they have done has worked. And, you know, obviously Auburn's not going to say, like, we're going to punt on this season, but that's kind of what this looks like at, at this point. The flip side of yeah. that is if you look at Auburn's schedule right now, you know, any reasonable person would say, oh, they'd be three and four right now. Like, they've, they've won every game they were favored to win and lost every game they were favored to lose. 
no shame in that. Um, the schedule gets a lot easier going forward, so we could have a lot of different conversations if they rattle off a few wins in a row here. Um, but I think the bigger issue with them is not the fact that they've lost four games in a row because, you know, the four games were Georgia, Texas A&M, uh, LSU, and Ole Miss. Like, those are four very respectable losses. Um it's just the way they've lost, and that quarterback situation has has been a key part of the way they've lost. I also think part of it is the quarterbacks have been so um, left out to dry by a group of pass catchers, both wide receivers and tight ends, that just can't get open. Like um, I don't think I, I'm not sure the exact stat, but like Auburn's yards after the catch basically don't exist. Um, I, you, you don't really see many wide receivers running running wide open, and when that occasionally does happen, you've often noticed Peyton Thorne just doesn't see them. Um, so it's it's a combination of problems there with that offense. I don't think it's just the quarterback that's the issue here, but the rotation definitely is not helping. I also just don't see that ending at this point because Auburn would have by now. You talked about the schedule. I- I look at Mississippi State this coming Saturday as the whole key to the season. If they don't win this game, I'm not so sure they make it to a bowl. They get this win in Vanderbilt, and, and that non-conference game for, probably gets them to a bowl game. Yeah, I agree. Because if you don't beat Mississippi State, basically you're stuck with having a win at, at Arkansas. Um, and Arkansas is the only team that has a worse offense than than Auburn right now in the SEC. Like, didn't they just fire their offensive coordinator yesterday? Something like that. The so, like Arkansas is a bit of a mess. And but I don't think Auburn is going to go to Fayetteville and win. I, I think Arkansas, I think they could beat Arkansas and Auburn, but I don't know if they can win on the road. So you have to then win your road game at Vanderbilt, which has a pretty good passing offense. So I don't like. You know, I don't want to sharpie that one in as a as a win for Auburn, but that's a game they should they should win. If you lose at Vanderbilt, some bigger questions. Um, but yeah, you, you you beat Mississippi State, you beat you beat Vanderbilt, you beat New Mexico State. You're at six wins. Auburn didn't go to a bowl game last year, so that would certainly be a step forward. Um, even if it's a trip to like the Gasparilla Bowl or the Liberty Bowl or something like that. He's Matt Cohen. He covers Auburn uh, for uh, for AL.com. You can follow him on X at Matt underscore Cohen underscore. All right, so is Tebow right? Is 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 this team closer than we think? You look at, granted, they, they tack on a late one against Ole Miss, but it's a one-score loss. You, we know what they did against Georgia, the top-ranked team in the country. I personally, I thought it was not an interception with five minutes left in the game by Ole Miss. I mean, is this team closer than everybody kind of – feels like it is the defense kind of makes it seem that way because Auburn Auburn's wasting a really good defense and it's it's a, it's a shame like this is one of the better defenses Auburn's had in the last couple of years and it's gonna it's gonna get totally left out to dry um like I mean Auburn just hold held out Auburn just held Ole Miss a fewer than 30 points not a lot of teams do that uh, Ole Miss didn't score at all for the entire second quarter and didn't score until literally the very last play of the third quarter. Like, they are really, really playing well, and they're getting no help at all from the offense. So to say Auburn's closer than we think, I think it's possible because that defense can keep them in games. Like, the game against Mississippi State next weekend has the potential to be atrocious because, like, 
that's not really a great offense over there in Starkville either, and they play some pretty some 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 decent defense from what I've seen. I mean, well, okay, they played some fine defense from what I've seen. They just aren't really great <laughs> offensively either. Um, but the, so I think that could be a, a, a weird game next next weekend. Auburn also at home is a very different team than what they've been on the road, uh, especially offensively. Like. On the on the road, they've been even worse on offense. At least at home, make you know even in that Georgia game, which is probably all things considered the best game Auburn's played this season. Because I'm I'm not going to sit here and say like beating UMass or beating Sanford by you know four touchdowns is as good as almost beating the number one team in the country. Um, and you know on that day, Auburn ran the ball extremely well. Uh, and Auburn has continued to run the ball pretty well all, all, all season. So you have a good defense. You have a good running game. Your passing game is just that bad that it's holding you back. So when Hugh Freeze gets up at the podium, which he, and he said this multiple times, that the margin of error between Auburn winning and losing is really small. I don't think it's really small. I think it is a bit bigger than that because the passing game is so bad. But you do have two key elements there of a really good defense and a really good running game. Hey, Matt, great stuff, man. we got to run. We certainly appreciate it. We'll be reading your stuff at AL.com and, of course, following you on X at Matt underscore Cohen underscore. Have a great week, man. We'll be in touch. Thanks for the time. Gosh, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we appreciate Matt always coming aboard with us. All right, when we come back, uh, traffic and weather. Uh, we want to give as much time as possible, and it won't be enough to talk to Dean Waite. we got a number of calls we need to discuss. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff, broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Stay with us right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Here, third and goal. Bajan with time. Throws it short. Foreman with the catch. Foreman to the end zone for the touchdown. And the first career touchdown pass for Tyson Bajan. All right, 820. Welcome back in. The Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff continues from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. Yeah, Bajan, the undrafted quarterback, played in the Senior Bowl, Shepherd College. Gets his first start, gets his first win. Uh, congratulations to him. Don't wait for the call because we got Dean Waite right now. We've been uh, talking about this all morning long. Uh, Dean Waite located out there at Airport Boulevard where we broadcast every Friday from noon to 1. Dean, welcome aboard. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you all? Good. So you help me out with these fair catches uh, and so forth because uh, I saw not one but two games, and there may have been more, where it certainly was an influencer, no more so than the Iowa uh, game against Minnesota, where their punt returner ran it back for a touchdown that possibly would have given them the win, but they called it back because the officials said that he had indicated fair catch. How do we know? What does a, a punt returner really have to do to indicate whether it's a fair catch or not in your mind, and was that a proper call? Yeah, I mean, so a, a valid fair catch signal is one arm extended above your shoulder with a clear wave back and forth. Okay, I mean, that's what you want for a fair catch signal. Now, an invalid signal really is almost anything other than that. If you're going to get any kind of waving of the arm, you know, or, or anything like that, they're probably going to interpret that as a is a fair catch signal. It's an, it's an invalid signal, but it still kills the ball. 
Uh, and so in the Iowa game, I was okay with that. I mean, the, the kids – the kid's left arm is getting up around the shoulder area in a waving motion for sure. Uh, and so I'm okay with that. The Alabama one was less clear. I mean, the Tennessee kid's arms are down by his side and kind of, you know, in a backwards motion. Now, we see that when, you know, when you've got a long kickoff that's going to go through the end zone, the players do that to indicate to, to their teammates, hey, the ball's not going to be returnable, you know, so – I just – that one was tough. I mean, that, that did not look anything like a fair kick signal to me. Um, but they called it that, and the ball's dead. So so when when the person other than the guy giving the signal catches the ball, it's dead at the spot where, where it's caught. So that's why the ball went to the 40-yard line. Um, it's just a, it was just a weird play. But it's subjective. It's up to the, the officials as to, as to what – is a is a fair catch signal in that scenario when it's not clearly one arm above the shoulders waving back and forth. Yeah, I'm with you. When 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 guys kind of put their arms out kind of parallel to the ground to the to the field, I, I feel like that's more of a sign right. to his teammates than it is a. So that was a new yeah. one on me. All right, um, all right. So Roydell Williams, it looked like uh, uh, Elijah Elijah Herring tried to I guess punch the ball. Uh, when Roydell uh, Williams had the the was carrying the ball, except he missed and hit the dude in the helmet. There was no flag, but scra- uh, fans were screaming for a personal foul. Uh, you and I talked briefly over the weekend. That is indeed a foul they just missed. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it is. I mean, I, you know, I don't know whether he was trying to punch the ball out, and I don't know how an official would know that. I mean, what he did was he knocked the heck out of the guy in the helmet. Um, I mean, yeah. if he was trying to punch the ball out. He missed really badly. And uh, so, you know, I mean, I th- you, you had a clear blow to the helmet uh, that should have been called in my mind. I mean, I think it was pretty clear that it was a foul. Um, it, yeah. It's hard to, you know, I mean, even if he was trying to punch the ball out, you still can't knock somebody in the head, you know? He, yeah. He's Dean Wade. Okay, one of the other trends I've seen, and I sent you a couple, it happened in the Alabama-Tennessee game. It happened in the Utah-USC game when a team is uh, subbing. Uh, the defense, right. as you know, has the opportunity to sub too, but they're taking their sweet time subbing, and it got to the point where both USC and Alabama had to burn timeouts because it took so long for the defensive guy. In the in, in Utah's case, it took more than 12 seconds for them to set the ball after the, the the defense had an opportunity. Is this a trend that we're seeing defenses do to counter up tempo, and 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 at what point do the officials step in? Yeah, I mean, it probably is. I mean, you know, if I'm a coach, I'm, I'm not telling my guy there's no obligation for once the offense substitutes, the defense has the opportunity to do the same thing. There's no obligation for the defensive player to just go in a full dead-on sprint out to the field. <laughs> the, the, the rule book says, yeah, I mean, the rule book says it has to be done in a quote prompt manner. Okay, well, it doesn't define what prompt is, you know, but but. You know, in one of the games, I can't remember which one it was, They every time the offense would kind of substitute late, the, the opponent, the defense would trot out their largest defensive line right. and weighed about 330 pounds. You know, prompt for him is different than what prompt is for a 190-pound defensive back. So, you know, uh, it's it just got – but, I mean, I think as long as the defensive player is, you know, comes off the sideline in, in a pretty – pretty quick manner and is at least jogging out onto the field. I don't know how you can really do much more than that. And, and it's on the offense. I mean, if the offense wants to substitute late, that's the risk they run. 
as long as the defense is, is you know, like I said, jogging out on the field or something. They can't they can't just walk out there, certainly. I mean, the, the defense can be called for delay of game if the officials, the officials determine that they are not substituting in a prompt enough manner. I, I don't know that I've seen that called, but it can be called. Okay, let me ask you about Auburn a couple. Uh, with fi- about five minutes left in the game, Ole Miss, uh, Walton, the interception stands. They, they reviewed it. Man, it looked like uh, – that ball hit the ground in the back in the end zone. Um, how would you have called that one? Well, I think it did. It did hit the ground. But to me, he had full control of that ball the entire time. That it, I mean, it touched the ground. The ball never moved. Uh, at least in my mind, it never moved. And then you know he maintained control of the ball the whole time. To me, and I, I think they got it right. Uh, but I mean, the ball—the point of the ball did touch the ground, um, but it just never moved out of his hand that I could see. Uh, and so I think I feel like he maintained full control of that football the entire time. Okay. Speaking of Auburn, um, there was an Auburn defender grabbed uh, Brandon Fraser, the Auburn tight end. Um, it looked like yeah. Fraser tried to kind of push the defender off, uh, but they called offensive pi as opposed to defensive holding. What did you see in that play? Yeah, I'm 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 good with that call. But what happened was the Auburn guy, to me, I mean, they may so the defensive guy sort of sticks his hands out, you know, initially. But the Auburn guy looks to me like he's blocking downfield while the ball is in the air, and that is offensive gotcha. pass interference. Uh, you can't, yeah. So that's what they called, um, and it, and I think they got that right in my mind. Okay, in the era, one last one before let's go. There was an Arizona State play where they they initially called pass interference and then they picked it up yeah and after the review uh, <laughs> i don't know what they were thinking uh, i guess I, my question is what did they yeah, what did they no see idea. differently that they picked it up i'm oh, sorry yeah i have no idea what they were looking at when they picked that the flag up the only thing that you know really could come to mind would be it's an uncatchable pass but the pass was clearly catchable it hit it hit the guy's hand yeah. uh and so i i don't and it was clearly pass interference so i don't know what Unless the only thing, Mark, is it, it, did they say anything about that receiver being ineligible somehow? That would be the only other way that would not be passed in fair if that guy was maybe covered up uh, and went downfield and caught the ball and he's an ineligible receiver, then it would not be passed in appearance. But I, I don't know what they were, I don't know what happened on that play. It's clearly yeah. contact. Yeah. Hey, Dean, as always, man, we, we really do appreciate it. It's great having you on to go over this stuff every week. Uh, it's, it's invaluable to us and to our listeners, so thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Yep, that's Dean Wade, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we come back, we talk a little Alabama with Mike Rodak. You guys can continue your comments in the app at WNSP.com. Uh, I don't know if you got any, uh, if you feel any different about some of those calls that we went uh, over just now, but if you did, uh, we certainly want to hear from you in the uh in the app at WNSP.com. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. Stay with us.
832, welcome back in. That, of course, the uh, CBS interview post-game on the field with Nick Saban and Jalen Milrow. I mentioned it earlier, Jalen Milrow might have the best laugh in all of college football. Uh, it was a side of him you hadn't seen yet, but uh, it was pr- it was pretty contagious right there, Lee. Had a lot to laugh about, too, after that win over Tennessee, trailing 20-7. to and Let's talk to uh, Mike Rodak. Mike Rodak covers Alabama for 24-7. Mike, thanks for joining us. You doing okay? Yeah, yourself? I wanted to ask you, uh, at the half, do you know what was done in the locker room? Any word that trickled out of there? Adjustments or talk by Nick Saban to his team when they were down 20-7? to 7? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. Um, you know, the psychological aspect that Saban really, you know, told his players was, you know, what do you want this season to be? Uh, what, do you want, what do you want to accomplish this season? And that is really what's on the line. I mean, not just that game. It's going to be on the line next week against LSU. And, um, it's really been on the line since the loss to Texas. As you take a second loss, and your chance of winning a national title goes pretty close to zero. Um, and, you know, being down 13 points at halftime, I think that was, you know, their biggest comeback uh, in terms of a halftime deficit at home since 1995. So um, to get that done, you know, you really have to motivate players that if you don't do this, then, you know, your season is, is over in terms of winning a national title. Um, and so that was really the message from, from Nick Saban. I don't think he was afraid to deliver that. But in terms of the schematic part of it, the big thing that he mentioned, you know, defensively was going from a three-man line, an odd front, to a, a four-man line, an even front. And that, you know, made a pretty big difference right away, really. I mean, Tennessee went from – having 275 yards in the first half and almost 200 passing yards in the first half to 130-something, I think, in the, in the second half um, total. And passing yards was well under 100. So um, that was a huge change. And it, it basically what Saban said is it allowed them to do things that they're more used to doing. You know, they play more even fronts, and uh, they're used to playing the coverages that, that run off of that, and it helped their pass rush. So, um, it probably hurt them a little bit in maybe the running game and, um, you know, in, in containing Joe Milton, which is what their main concern was going into the game. But um, I think once the game unfolded, they realized that they needed to stop the pass uh, because that was hurting them probably more than the run in the first half. You know, uh, Mike, to your point, uh, and we mentioned this earlier in the show, I thought Saban's comments during the TV broadcast in the first quarter and even the ones made to Crimson Tide Sports Network at halftime, I think some that you tweeted out, actually, I thought were very telling. Saban seemed very cool, calm, and collect, even confident that I kind of felt like he thought he was the better team. It was just a question of the guys kind of doing what they needed to do. Because as bad as that first half was, I'm not sure old Saban might have just exploded right there on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely – he played the positive card again at halftime on the radio and basically said, you know, we're still in this and um, we need to do, you know, some things better on offense. We need to do some things better on defense, but we can win this game. And that was um, – you know, it's kind of been his theme all year where, you know, after the USF game was probably the most memorable one where he's saying, I'm proud of this team and, you know, we just need to clean some things up. And everybody's saying, like, what is this? Like, we're not used to hearing this Nick Saban, but um, that's – you know, I think from a coaching standpoint, the the best card for him to play with this team is is that's what he's reading from his team, and he, I think he even said it on you know SEC Nation Saturday morning that they're a younger team, um, and you know there's 
sort of a patience that's required with them. And that's kind of what we heard two years ago. Remember in 2021 when Bryce was a, a first-year starter as a sophomore and, you know, they, they lost a ton of guys from that 2020 team. And he's basically saying, like, you know, this team needs to be nurtured, um, I think was the word that he used. So um, that's, you know, that's what makes him great is he, he kind of knows how to um, approach every single team and what's different about every team mentally. So, you know, that, that's the card he's playing. And, um, you know, it's – I think as the, if, if they continue to improve – then you can kind of tighten the screws a little bit and, and try to clean up the things that um, were problems. But when things are just completely not going right, he actually is um, really good with, with trying to keep the ship level. Mike Rodak, 24-7, joining us to talk about uh, Alabama's win over Tennessee. So one of the reasons I find it difficult from week to week to try to figure out and we give commentary, try to you know delve into why – Alabama may do this or Tennessee. When I watched Tennessee against Texas A&M, I saw no passing game at all. I didn't see much from Joe Milton. He comes out and looks like a Heisman Trophy candidate in the first half of that game. Were you surprised at how well he threw the ball and also ran the ball? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it probably goes back to what Alabama was doing defensively, and I think Josh Heupel is a really good play caller and a really smart offensive mind, and um, you know, he probably went into that thinking Alabama was going to play them a certain way and, and they show something different. Um, and he, and maybe in some regards was a step ahead of Saban in, in the first half and, and able to do something with Tennessee's not really done uh, this year. Um, so, you know, that's the chess game that gets played and um, you know, they, they look pretty good in the first, in the first half. It wasn't as if like Milton was throwing up and down the field, you know, like Tennessee was last year, but it was an effective passing game. I think he started, 10 of 12 or something like that 11 of 12 and he definitely started eight of eight um and that, you know those first eight passes he looked really crisp and um you know had again almost 300 yards in the first half and um just wasn't able to be sustained schematically from tennessee once alabama switched what they were doing and they didn't really have an answer in the running game you know i think tennessee's biggest um i don't say blunder but like what where they fell short compared to what they were known for doing was running the ball and dominating the line of scrimmage, and that was the big matchup we had coming into this game was a top six you know, rushing offense in Tennessee versus a top ten run defense in Alabama, and um, pretty clear that Alabama won that battle. I don't know if this is a correct term. Mark and I were talking about uh, Kool-Aid on punt returns, and, you know, like I, I kind of look at baseball where – the guy gets the ips and has trouble throwing to first base and the ball keeps going by the, the bag or into the crowd or something like that. And I wonder if he's got, if that's the correct term on punt returns. He, he, he's not, he doesn't appear confident in chasing down punts. So the ball gets by him. It's an extra 15, maybe 20 yards against Alabama. I'm wondering, would, would they ever contemplate making a change back there? Yeah, it's a good question. And quite honestly, something... I might ask Saban at some point this week, um, the couple times that we get him, and it's you know it's it's been a huge difference from last year, um, you know because of how effective he was last year. But then teams started kicking away from him, and you know they weren't weren't really kicking towards him um, too much this season either. Um, but he had you know the the bobble against South Florida, you know that South Florida recovered, and um, there was another one. I'm blanking on which game it was where he got crushed, and he probably should have called for a fair catch and. Um, you know, I think there's 
it's almost like the home run derby effect, the, the slam dunk contest effect, where I think you're you're trying to swing for the fences too much with each return, and you're probably overthinking it a little bit. Um, yeah, sometimes you just need a guy out there just to catch the punt, and you're not really thinking as much about the return. So maybe they need a, a punt catcher. Um, as you know, I remember Buffalo Chan Gailey was their head coach at one point, and he would always call him you know punt catcher. Uh, as opposed to punt returner. So sometimes you need a guy out there just to catch the ball and prevent those sort of situations where the ball is bouncing and, and giving Tennessee or whatever it is um, extra field position. But mentally, I'm not totally sure where Kool-Aid's at on that. Um, I think we talked to him last week, but nobody asked him about it. So next time we talk to him, we'll have to try to pick his brain on that. Also, uh, and we've talked a lot about this this morning, Tennessee was snake bit on that fair catch call. Instead of having the ball past the 20, it comes back to the four. When that happened in real time, were you aware of the call? I wasn't. I had never really – I had no idea why the ball was coming back. I've certainly got an explanation this morning that that's in the rule book, that the guy who ran it back is not the one who made the fair catch call and so forth. But was that pretty prevalent in the press box? Uh, it wasn't in real time as you were watching the return, but I think the, the official, once he announced it, you know, it made sense based on, you know, the explanation. So – I, I can't remember that ever happening that I can recall before that. Um, so it's, you know, one of those things that you can understand the rule and like why that's the rule, but I just can't picture it happening before. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's if that's the main area where Tennessee would gripe. Um, to me, it was those back-to-back um, spots, or you know, the the review and then uh, the fourth down spot from from Joe Milton where he got stopped. In, in like real time, both of those look like first downs to me, and then watching the replay, they look pretty close. So um, I think that's like Tennessee's biggest area where they can you know, have an issue. And maybe the, the disconcerting signals, uh, the simulation of the snap count call on defense, I think was yeah. um, probably one where they were like, you know, what, what's going on there? But it's a good game from Alabama in terms of the flags. They only have one flag for a team that you know certainly has had their fair share of penalty issues. So. I don't think there's I mean, too many Alabama fans complaining about the officials after this one. Yeah, hey, I wanted to ask, that's another point. I, I was going to ask uh, that question earlier. Okay, so Josh Heupel was asked about the officiating. He refrained. He said he didn't want to get fined. In all the years that you've followed Nick Saban, has he ever complained about the officiating in a game? Uh, not, like, explicitly that I can remember. Um, you know, there's obviously ways you can kind of, dodge a little bit um i'm trying to think of you know how he's done that before but you can usually tell i mean because you know you can all see it live and he's throwing his arms up and yelling at the officials you can tell like what he uh disagrees with and then when you ask him about it after the game sometimes it'll just be um you know from where he stood or his view of it it didn't look like it was or it's not it's never really a direct admonishment of, of the officials it's more like trying to get his opinion from his perspective um, that i can picture but it's been a while since there's been you know real um game-changing controversial call that you know he's been asked about mike rodak is our guest here on wnsp man um at the end of the game i didn't even realize until i saw the final stats but jace mcclellan not the 115 isn't impressive 115 yards but 27 carries that we i, I can't remember the last time i've seen a, an alabama running back get that many i think you got to go back to derrick henry or you know those guys it's been a minute yeah i mean 
Brian Robinson, maybe against Cincinnati in that bowl game a couple years ago, um, would be one. Maybe Najee had it uh, here or there, but yeah, that's pretty rare. And it's funny because last week against Arkansas, we were all asking about you know the rotation of running backs. It seemed like they were using more guys. You know, they jammed Miller in for several carries against Arkansas, and Justice Haynes saw some some time early in that game, and then it didn't really stick because it was pretty much all McClellan. Even Roy Dell Williams didn't get a ton of play. Um, which is interesting because, you know, McClellan, good player, but, like, statistically has not had a great year. Like, I think coming into this game, he was 89th in the country in yards per carry, um, you know, which is certainly not great. And, you know, certainly the offensive line plays a role in that. But even the first half against Tennessee just wasn't really getting much. And then second half, I think, is really where he found his groove and, you could just feel it in the stadium, too. Like, once, you know, they scored that quick touchdown, they made the stop on defense, and then from there it was just you could feel every single play had that little more uh, oomph to it. You know, they were getting a few more yards. The crowd was getting more into it. Tennessee was kind of reeling, and I think, you know, the running game can really feed off of that. Um, so that's really when he got most of his yards, I think, was in the second half. And, again, you just – you're, you're, quite frankly, you're making Tennessee quit. Um, and they did a really good job of doing that, where in a lot of other games this year they haven't. So how good is this team, Mike? Is this? I mean, we've talked about now for weeks that this Alabama defense is potentially championship caliber. Uh, you see the explosiveness and what they can do bo- on both sides of the ball in the second half. First half was a much different story. Which, 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 which Will the real Alabama please stand up? Yeah, it's it's still an unpredictable team. Um, you know, there's three SEC games left, and, you know, if you're telling me that they lost one of those, whether it's LSU or Auburn or maybe at Kentucky, I think that would be the least likely. But if you're telling me that they lost one of those games in a month, I still wouldn't be surprised because, as Saban's kind of said, uh, it doesn't get you until it gets you. And, you know, they've done a lot of things that, you know, have taken years off his life, as he said, and um, yeah. sometimes there's a delay in, in terms of when those things will actually catch up to you, and I, I still feel like it's going to happen at some point. Um, LSU is the best offense that they've played. Jaden Daniels is by far the best quarterback they've played, um, and that's you know a team that beat you last year. You're going to get the assist from the game being at home this year, but that's a tough one, and obviously going to Auburn is always tough, even with all the problems Auburn has, so you know, would it shock me if they lost one of those three games? No. Um, but at the same time, would it shock me if they ran the table and beat Georgia? Uh, no. So <laughs> that's kind of where you're at. There's a, there's a wide range of outcomes. And, um, you know, to me, the lingering question is still, you know, you, you, there's a little bit of style points that this team still needs to show because there is the situation where, all right, you're one loss SEC champion that, you know, maybe beat Georgia. Um but let's say there's an undefeated Florida State, there's an undefeated Big Ten, there's an undefeated Washington, there's an undefeated Oklahoma, or there's a one-loss Texas. Alabama's going to have trouble stacking up against those four other conferences in terms of trying to get into the playoff. I know everybody says the SEC would never be let out, but I don't know which of those four teams I would keep out of the playoff over this Alabama team, especially if the committee's watching Alabama every week and kind of saying, eh, you know, there's, there's some issues with this team. Uh, they're not dominant, so... Um, especially the LSU game, you know, if they can run up the score against LSU, if that's possible, then that helps them because keep in mind, Florida State ran up the score against LSU. 
And if you're going head-to-head against Florida State trying to make the playoff, you know, that's the common game. That's the common opponent that they need to um, kind of use as a comparison. Mike, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate you coming aboard. Tell everybody how they can continue to follow your coverage of all things Alabama. On Twitter, at Mike Rodak, and on Bama247.com. Hey, man, never a dull moment. We appreciate it. Have a great week. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Yep, that's uh, Mike Rodak, ladies and gentlemen. All right, one final segment. You guys can jump in at the end here at 694-1055. We'll set the table for the rest of the day as well. It's our Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com, broadcasting from Baumhauer's Victory Grill at the Shops of Bel Air. Stay with us. Hey there, this is Bob Baumhauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. One final segment of the day. Appreciate you guys hanging with us. One of the with us. And uh, hey, it's Monday. Want to thank the fine folks here at Baumhauer's Victory Grill for allowing us once again to broadcast from the restaurant here, the shop of Bel- shops at Bel Air. A reminder: if you you couldn't get here for breakfast, make sure you come by for lunch today or even tonight. Clearly, it's a big night. Monday night football. You got some baseball. You got a game seven tonight. <clears throat> Plenty of reasons to get out here. Yeah, you know, another thing, too, they have going on, and we haven't really talked much about this, but I'm sure many of you know about it, the NFL season, you can win a $100 Baumhauer's gift certificate. The NFL season, uh, what it is, you come out to uh, Victory Grill, you get involved with the NFL Pick'em Contest, and to do that, you visit Baumhauer's.com or scan the QR code at your table uh, at your favorite location, so it's game on at Baumhauer's Victory Grill and, of course, a chance to win a gift card. You know, Mark, I'm scanning down Saturday, and uh, you, you like having games every day, and that will again be the case starting Tuesday. Tomorrow we have games. Liberty's back in action. They're undefeated. Wednesday there's games Thursday, Friday. But Saturday it's slim pickings as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yes, those of us who follow the SEC have Georgia-Florida, if you consider that a, uh, a great matchup. Auburn has a 2:30 game against uh, Mississippi State, but it's not SEC Network. That's as, I'm sorry, that's not CBS. That is the SEC Network. But as far as the national scene and games that are very meaningful to down the road, the only one that I can see right now is Oregon and Utah. Uh, and yeah, I looked at some of the other, you know, big time teams, and you know they're not playing a team. It's not like they're playing a top 10 or a top 20 team. So from it's kind of a, a quiet weekend, you know, for college football in the sense of big-time rivalry games. That'll probably happen the following yeah. week with Alabama and LSU and a few others. Well, you know, we sat there and we kind of looked at that Auburn-Mississippi State game, and while it, it isn't real sexy right now, it, it could potentially be very competitive, low-scoring competitive, but still competitive nonetheless. So um, three, now that three, now nine. that Mississippi State's playing with a little more confidence after that big 7-3 win over Arkansas. What was that game years ago when Auburn and Mississippi State, Tuberville was coaching The 3-2 game? The 3-2 game. Are we looking yeah. at something like that maybe? Probably not. Probably not. But, uh, it, it, you know, as far as Auburn's concerned. But the other, the other game, again, in the SEC would be, you know, Georgia and Florida. And I don't know how much Florida has to, you know, take Georgia to the woodshed or not. I, 
I can't see that happening. It's the CBS game. But, again, you, you scan around the, the country, and there aren't many games that just jump out you and say, hey, watch me. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow we are back in studio for the first time, uh, but we'll only be in studio twice this <laughs> <laughs> twice this uh, this week as our Dr. Christopher Mullinex High School Game Days on Thursday and Friday. So nice, we're going to do it twice. We're headed to Alma Bryant on Thursday and on Friday, Mobile Christian. I think we ought to call in Mr. Michael Bronner, so give him a chance to uh, speak his mind and, instead of bottling it off for another day. Michael's Minute, go! Mm. Hey, guys. <laughs> Boy, that's really riveting. Anything else you want to offer? Oh, I'm really looking forward to these next two days in studio. Well, you had a, you had a good week. Your Patriots won, Alabama won. What, what's to find fault with? I oh nothing. I'm 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 pretty happy with the football weekend. It's I want to say it's the first time uh gone two and zero on a weekend all season. So that's good stuff. So, so as an Alabama fan, do you take credit? Like, is the perfect weekend? Alabama wins, Patriots win. Auburn and Tennessee lose. Is that is that kind of is that is that how that works for for you guys? Well, I mean, we, we when Alabama wins and uh, Auburn loses, we like to call that a double eagle Saturday. So we've got a few of those Saturday. this year. Were your how was your blood pressure at the half of the Alabama game? I was feeling okay. Uh, you know, it it was kind of like oh geez, same old same old story with this album. Milro was was bad in the first half. It is his pocket awareness is is the biggest thing with him. He kind of stands there and wait to get waits to get sacked, uh, and then you know it helped that they were able to run the ball in the second half, and it helped a lot that they didn't give up a single point in the second half. Uh, so you know LSU is gonna present its own set of challenges. We'll see what happens. I don't think you're holding uh, them scoreless for an entire half, so gonna have to gonna have to be better on offense. Can't have a seven point half and beat LSU, but we'll see what happens. You know, to your point about Milrow, one of the things I noticed he never he he I shouldn't say never, but he rarely if ever checks down to that running back who is wide open in the yeah. flats. He's, like, uh, allergic to checkdowns. I, I don't know what's up with that. So, you know, he holds it a little too long in the pocket. I think we all agree on that. Against Tennessee, especially in the second half, more times than not, it paid off for him because he find that, that deep crossing route or whatever right there, a guy sitting right down in the middle. But there was one time where it was clear the running back was wide open. He waited, he waited, he waited, and it paid off for him. But, man, uh, if, I, if I'm LSU or anybody at this point, I don't think I even guard the running back coming out the backfield on pass plays. There was a moment where Gary Danielson, after after like three sacks in a row, he said, you got to admire Jalen Milrow's confidence in his offensive line. That's a nice <laughs> way to say he's standing there too long. Uh, that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff. We'll, uh, we'll go to the studios and visit with the uh, Michael Bronner, who clearly misses us. But uh, for Bronner back at the studios and Lee Trevaney, I'm Mark Hyman. That does it for the opening kickoff. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. Until then, see ya.